What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help out, as food banks like the Ozarks Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. You can follow me on social media like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All those links are in the show notes for you. Today we are joined by Travis Sheely of Blue Fire Wilderness Therapy, which is a premier wilderness therapy program for troubled teens and adolescents. In our conversation, Travis shares his own journey, explains how wilderness therapy works, and provides thoughtful insights into relationships, communication, and more. I was very humbled for Travis to come on the show and for him to stick around for as long as he did. Travis is an incredibly generous person, and I'm very excited to share our conversation, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Travis Sheely, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, just to get it out of the way, uh, so there's so, so the, the listeners can see behind the curtain a bit, I actually uh, went to school with Travis uh, in middle school. So we've technically known each other for a very long time, but did, then kind of lost contact over the years. Um and, and then you reached out here recently, and I was really, really excited by the work that you're doing, and you were generous enough to offer to come on the show. So, so yeah, thanks again. Um, yeah. So the, the work that you're doing is with this company called Blue Fire, That's a, and, and I'm, I'm probably going <laughs> to misstate it slightly, but like a, a, like a, a wilderness kind of therapy treatment center kind of situation. Is that <laughs> the way to say it? Or? Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, that's pretty perfect. So it's... Uh, uh, it's yeah. Wilderness therapy is, a uh, is, is the industry that we're in. Um, it's, uh, it's also known as outdoor behavioral health care. Um, so blue, blue fires, uh, about, it's, uh, six, about six years old. Um, and it, uh, and, and what we do is we take, you know, at risk kids, uh, and young adults into wilderness setting. Um, and we do a, a, a bunch of therapy, um, behavioral health stuff with them. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can talk about whatever you want to talk about yeah, with man. regard to this. Well, well, so, you know, I'll be honest and obviously I'm not like the, you know, <laughs> the sharpest tool in the shed here or anything, but I didn't know that that was even a thing. You know what I mean? Like I hear I've been mm-hmm. talking to psychologists throughout this last year and I work with a coach now personally, and I've talked to a lot of coaches. So I'm, mm-hmm. I've, I, I felt like I was, kind of aware of the landscape of like behavioral health or, or personal development or, or whatever those different interchangeable terms could be. Um, and, and then when you, when you'd reach out to me and kind of explain what you were doing, I had no idea this was a thing. And I thought it was incredibly cool sounding and, and a, a, a very kind of unique um, take on it. So I guess, I guess maybe that would where I'd start is, is, is this a unique thing or is this something that's more widespread than I'm aware of? It's not. Um, I think right now we're going through this this time where behavioral health is uh, is be, is becoming a uh, definitely more, just more top of mind for a lot more people. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I don't mean that as like a twenty twenty thing. I think that's just like the the nature of uh, just behavioral health in general. It's become mm-hmm. a lot more um, a lot more people are understand about it. Um, wilderness therapy, uh, and and I have a friend that could do a, a much better job telling you the history of it. But it, it essentially starts. Um, uh, a, 
a long time ago, like, you know, sometime in the, the mid 1900s, so somewhere 1950s, 1960s. Okay. You get the, you get these programs that, that would, uh, that would take kids that the, I think the idea was mostly to, to get them out, like away from their, uh, natural, their like home environment and get them into a place where, um, they would have to do something different, um, to, to, to make it through this pr- a program. Uh, so these, these programs were like a little bit, like a lot more survivalist based. They would, they would do hiking and, um, like, like expedition style. So, and, 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 uh, and, and so as, as it developed, as the industry developed, I mean, it, it was a service that was offered to families that had, had kids that, you know, they, they either, they were messing up a lot or they just they were really worried about their kids. And so they would take them to, uh, to do a program like this to help them ideally, like kind of figure out whatever they need to figure out. And so they could go back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the early days, like there really weren't any therapists involved. It was mostly just like field guides, like taking, you know, groups of kids out into like wilderness areas and doing some kind of program. So you'd have, you know, and, a lot, like a lot of like, a lot of those were very, like I said, survival based. So they would have like really basic gears, maybe a tarp and uh, like a, a food cup, like a metal cup um, and a knife and, and uh, like a bedroll, you know, like a wool blanket and, and, and some clothes and that'd be about it. And, um, you know, food, things like that, water uh, or the ability to treat water and, um and and as the the industry has developed over time, it's it's changed quite a bit. Obviously, now nowadays, therapists are are definitely involved. There's a uh, there's a back to therapy component is, is a huge huge component, especially here at Blue Fire. Um, and uh, and and the gear that they get is a lot different. I mean, and and there's our program does expeditions as part of part of what we do. So the, the, there's a lot more options, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. It's a much more like diverse and rich um, and rich field, but it's a pretty small industry. I would say so. And, and it's part of uh, a larger industry of just like private therapeutic treatment in general. So you have like mm-hmm. programs that like uh, do like longer term care. So like um, like residential treatment centers and um, and like uh, like boarding schools, therapeutic boarding schools. So essentially the, like our, our place in the industry is, is kind of like the, the first large step. Um, it's not just that, but the first big intervention that a family might choose for their, their, their kid that's did it's where they send them away to, to a program. So our role is to, is to basically um, kind of assess like the situation and, and ideally like stabilize a lot of the behaviors and get them headed in the right direction. So we're not a long-term treatment option. We 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 average like ten weeks with with a client before we move them on. I see. So this might be not related. I don't know. But when you when you mentioned kind of the the private treatment industry, is that also does it would that also include like the um, like drug rehab facilities that people would go to? But maybe I guess adults maybe are more in those. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean like. So the, it's, it's basically like anything behaviorally, behavioral health related. So drug abuse treatment is definitely part of that, but you also get like, um, and so some, you know, some of our clients might have some of those things going on. They might also have like uh, anxiety disorder, mood disorders, you know, personality disorders, um, or depression, isolation, suicidal ideation, those types of things. I mean, like, um, it's, it's, it, it, it shouldn't be lost on listeners that like, it's a, 
big deal to get into a program like this. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not like the first thing that families have tried. Um, but it's, it's, but it, you know, they're, they're, they're basically admitting they don't know what to do at home and, or they're worried about the environment at home. You know, there's a lot of reasons why they get sent away. Um, so this is, so we're, we're, I mean, these are, these are higher risk kids. These are, you know, and, and the families tend to could potentially be in like a pretty large crisis trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, the future with their kid and they're worried about like potentially losing them or them going down a path that's, you know, unrecoverable, those types mm-hmm. of things. So you mentioned that you, you know, you guys are about a 10 week thing and, and then you mentioned there's these longer term things. So is it common that a, that a, a client would be then sent on to another program after the wilderness yeah. therapy, not, mm-hmm. not return home typically? Yeah, well, it did. It, 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 every family is different and every kid's different. Um, and and our, a big part of what we do is we try to figure out what the kid needs to be successful long term. Um, and so if, if 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 all signs are pointing to like going home is, is totally reasonable and safe and it seems like the best thing, then that's going to be our recommendation. And other times it's it's not going to be a recommendation for various reasons. Um uh, and so, and so, yeah, I, a good percentage, most, I would say most of the time go on to some sort of longer term treatment. I mean, it takes years for these behaviors to develop and undoing them in like 10 weeks or 12 weeks is just <clears throat> not realistic for most, for most kids. Um, and so, and so what we do is we get them started like in a good direction. We have a good, like, I mean, we do things like psychological testing and like, but like, but very, very detailed psychological testing. And then we do, and then they have a therapist that they meet with. I mean, our, our kids actually have two therapists assigned to them. So they'll have, they'll meet with a therapist twice a week. They get a bunch of group therapy as well. Um, and, and then all the behaviors that come up when the therapists aren't there are discussed with the therapist and, and integrated into the plan for the kid. And we're watching the kid as they change and grow and seeing like, how are they making choices in this like microcosm where we can really control like their environment and, and distill it down to like the basic needs. Um, and we can, and we can use those choices and integrate it into their healthcare plan and help them make different choices than they would normally make. Um, and then, and so a lot of times though, like the kids, I mean, if you've, you know, not all kids come here with the same problems and, and, or the same history of problems. Right. So we have, so you have this huge spectrum where, and, and not all parents have the same tolerance levels for behaviors at home. So not, you know, and not all parents, you know, have the same levels of like income and stuff. And so every family situation is unique. And one of the things that I think we do really well is, is curtail a, you know, program to that client and their situation and, and, and try to get them the most success we can while, while they're here and then give really honest, you know, opinions about, and, and really good opinions about what they're going to need to see long-term success. Most kids, uh, when they leave here, they're going to, they're going to go back to some of their behaviors. I mean, I, I, we always, we basically say it's, it's inevitable. They're going to backslide. It's going to happen when they leave. I mean, we, you know, we, they, 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 they give up a lot of things to come into our program. They don't have their phones. They don't have like their clothes. Their friends aren't there. They can't turn on the TV. They can't turn on their phone and, and play games or, or, or get on Facebook or any of those things. I mean, that's a lot of distractions. So we peel that away and, 
And what you get is like a lot of discomfort early on. I mean, like that's, that's um, tends to be where we grow the most. And, and over time you'll actually see the kid get more comfortable, like without those things. That was another question I was going to ask. There's a couple of things that came to mind there, but so to, to touch on the phone thing a bit, I mean, you know, you and I grew up in an era where cell phones weren't even really out when we were kids, not even the flip ones. Right. <laughs> and then, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they came out like they were out maybe at the very end of our high school career, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't what it is now at all. But I was going to ask, you know, as time has gone on, does it seem like the use of smartphones and, and, and I guess probably social media coupled with that, but not just social media, but, but either way, the use of smartphones has become more of a problem. Has it stayed consistent throughout the years? Have kids adapted and it's actually become less of a thing that's, does that make sense even what I'm asking? Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know if I'm like qualified to, to weigh in on <laughs> whether or not smartphones, but, but I, I will say I just recently read deep work by Cal Newport. Have you read that? Mm. I haven't, but I've had it recommended several times. So yeah. I'll have it's, to check it out. It's, it's, it's really good. So he, he kind of, I mean, he goes into detail about, I mean, his, his whole thing is like, Hey, there's a need for the ability to do deep work. It's not exactly in line with the question that you're asking, but I think that, um, a few years ago, I got really into like how much task switching can like take up your day. Like I, I was, you know, I was managing a program in, in Colorado and, and, uh, I realized that like, I would, I would have like five minute conversations with different people. And I realized like I was just losing a ton of time to just switching tasks, like switching yeah. mindsets or modalities. And I did some research and it was like, oh, this is a thing. Like you can lose a lot of time and like, you know, in, from the workplace standpoint or that, that perspective, like productivity, like you can lose a lot of productivity to just task switching, you know? And I mean, some of the studies that have been done have been just really alarming. Like people are spending like way less than half their day actually producing work. Um, but from a perspective of, 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 of deep work in, in general, like I, I actually really enjoy um, considering things really deeply and, and following um, concepts and, and, and trails of, of just like the ideas and, and researching things. And, um, for, for me, uh, like social media and, and just, and, 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 and honestly, for me, I'll be honest, like phone games, like I like phone games and, um, I have to delete, I had to delete them all from my phone because I, I, I don't get nearly as much of, of that, like, like long term, I don't know the benefits of like really deep work, I guess, for, for, mm. for lack of a better way to say it. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about like smartphones in general, but I, I will say that like, um, maybe another way to look at like your question is I don't, you didn't ask this, but like one of the, I think it's an important thing that I want to share about like what happens to kids when they come into our program. So when that, they, when they're, when they're, um, whatever behaviors they had at home, like they show up here eventually. Like, so, so let's say that a kid is like uh, socially isolating a lot, like shutting themselves down, like, and, and, you know, they have the tools to do that at home. Like they have a room with a, a door that they can lock um, and they can, you know, and they have the ability to like game, put games on or, or have their phone in front of their face or, or whatever it is that they're using to like isolate and shut people out of their lives. Well, they have different tools. They still use those tools eventually here. So, you know, you might see their hoodie come down over their eyes, like, and, and they, or like, or they'll like take space a lot of times in, in, in conflict or just in general, they'll just like isolate from the group. So, or, or if you have a kid who is used to distracting with like drug use, you know, like, um, and just like, uh, like you'll see them 
like we'll have kids try to figure out ways to like get high in the desert. Like that's, I mean, it's not very easy. And they, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine what, what would happen, how they would actually succeed in that, but, it, right. but they'll try all kinds of crazy stuff, you know? And so like, like, and so when you're running a program like this, like you just have to be aware that like these kids, whatever, whatever they're doing at home, like they're going to try to do that here in some kind of way. And we're going to make it a lot harder to do certain things. Like, like for sure, our risk management and our, our ability to tolerate like behaviors and stuff is, is, is probably a lot, a lot more robust than what they're used to encountering. So they're not going to do well, like with those behaviors, but they're still going to try, like they're going to do those things. It's, it just comes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so like, yeah. So whether it's phones, phones make it easy, right? It's like an easy thing to connect with friends and to distract. If I'm, if I'm personally like really struggling with something in my life, you know, like I can go on Instagram and like drift off into La La Land and fantasize about like my friends and their lives and how like I could be doing those types of things or like engage in some whatever kind of like, I don't know, surface level fantasy that comes up as I like look through the internet or like on Reddit or whatever. I can choose to do that. It's a lot easier with a phone. It might take a few weeks for them to find whatever it is that works to distract them here, but they're going to find a way it's going to show up. And then we can deal with that in a, in a more controlled environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and I wasn't trying to put you on the spot with the question or anything. My point was more just my, my, my layman's thought um, was just, there's just so much when we were kids, the TV was the thing that was going to destroy the youth. Right. Because that was the, yeah. the newer thing. Right. And now, mm -hmm. now it's phones and it's like, I get it, but I, I, I guess I was just kind of thinking, maybe smartphones would have seemed would have been blamed for more when they were newer than they are now. Cause now they're more incorporated into our culture. If that makes sense. Like it's less sure. alarming for people to use them. Um, but again, that's fair. <laughs> you don't no, have that. No, I think, yeah, I don't, no, it's interesting. No, I guess my personal feeling is like, of course, of course it's worse. Like, of course the phones make it worse. It makes it too okay. easy. Like that's, okay. that's my personal thought on it. Like, like, yeah, I mean, technology is, isn't designed necessarily to like help with the deepest parts of humanity. It's just, it's designed <laughs> to, to, to make money for yeah. people. And, and, and you know what I mean? Like that's. Oh man. Yes. Yes. Preach it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that people don't, you know, I've talked about it a little bit, um, I don't even know if I, how much I've talked about it on the show, but it, personally, I've certainly discussed it with people lately. Now, I watched this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, and it's it's interviews with people that made Gmail and made Twitter and made Facebook and Instagram and all the, the major social media platforms who have since left and, and now are a part of this movement to try and correct some of what they made because of exactly what you're talking about. Where And, and that's the point they try and iterate over and over throughout the documentary is that like we didn't design these things to try and be evil we just designed them to try and make more money and it turned mm -hmm. out that there were some really insidious ramifications of that but it's not like they set out like oh how can we destroy adolescent lives for the next decade like that's not what they were trying to do when they're writing the apps but they are trying to make it so that you're addicted to looking at it right so they sure yeah or to facilitate like a, a or to facilitate a like like email for instance is a brilliant invention that that facilitates 
quick connections between people and quick conversations between people that are far distances away, you know, without having to do it over a phone um, or send a letter, you know, it's just faster. It makes it faster. It's, it's a tool. It solves a problem. That's a product that can be sold. And so like, it makes, it makes sense, but like, but disruptive technology, man, is is by in its nature disruptive, and that means it means kind of ramifications we can't control. And right. I think we, we're I think we're we're I think we're well aware of them as like you know I think a lot of us are well aware of them, and society may in general be well aware of them. And I also think that like the changes that are coming are coming so fast now. Um, I mean, I, in the past I might have said like, well, let's see what it looks like in twenty years. But I actually think in twenty years it's, it's going to be just as wild as it is now with whatever new technology is available then yeah i can't imagine i i I, sometimes i don't know i can't decide if i wish i was 20 years younger or not because if i was 20 years young because i i think technology is only going to get cooler and if i could get plugged into the matrix like i'm there all day you know what i'm saying (laughs) all day long sure yeah absolutely yeah but yeah I can see it's that. also possible that like we're going to burn the whole thing up before we get to the matrix. So then maybe I don't want to be younger. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know. It's a, a toss up sure. either way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you, you said that the, the people you're working with, the clients that you have are, are, are you know, teens or, or young adults, but what is, what does that age range really look like? Like what are the youngest kids you're working with versus kind of the older end of the spectrum? So our youngest kids are, uh, we have like three different age groups. So 11 to 13 or 14, kind of depending on the behaviors of like the 13 to 14 might go to the older group, the 14 year olds might, if they're, um, if they're, if they're a better fit for the younger group, that's where they would go. Uh, we have the adolescent program, which is, which is like 14 to 17. And then, um, they could be 18, 18 to 25. We definitely take older, but, but it just depends. That's kind of our sweet spot for, for young adults. Um, and, and then we're dealing with different sort of behaviors in, in different groups. So, and that, that tends to be uh, at least my understanding of wilderness therapy and other programs that I'm aware of and, and, and worked at, they tend to have like kind of specialists for certain behavior, like sets of behavior patterns. So like we have, um, you know, we have a girls group that's like adolescent. We have one adolescent girls group right now um, with a therapist that, that that deals with a lot of like clinical complexity and you know multiple like some dual diagnosis stuff we have uh with our with our with our young boys group that tends to be more like a lot of adhd we'll deal with some we'll have some uh, autism spectrum disorder stuff going on for kids in that in that group and uh, a lot of like um technology sort of addiction or attachment to technology or um uh, screen, screen, screen addiction is kind of what, a way I've, I've heard that described. Or young adults are often like failure to launch kind of that tends to be a big. And then and then you couple that with like the behaviors that they're using to cope, which are really unhealthy, you know, to deal with whatever like kind of core issues they're going through. Um, so for like the, clin- the really clinically complex stuff is, is, you know, a lot of times you're dealing with trauma, um, you know, um, or like attachment, attachment issues, attachment ruptures, that stuff's really, really fascinating. Um, are you dealing with, uh, yeah, like drug abuse as, as like a, a primary coping mechanism or uh, drug abuse and social isolation, a lot of shame, things like that mm-hmm. that can come up, that can come up. I mean, once you start getting into like maladaptive behaviors, it, 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 it's, it's the predictability of the cycle kind of gets really high. Like people just kind of do similar things 
Um, or there's like these patterns that, that, that will come out. Um, but I am, but I am not, I want to be really clear here. I'm not a therapist. I'm not classically trained as a therapist. I I'm a program director. So, so my, my end of it is I, I kind of cover more. Um, so my, the, the, the parts of the company that I'm, that I oversee are the venture logistics and, and field, like field instructors. And I was a field instructor myself for, for a few years and, um, so yeah, that's, that's what, that's what I do. So I deal with like risk management and, um, and like training, like recruitment, hiring, training, field instructors who are like the boots on the ground, like the frontline workers with the, with the clients like day in, day out. Um, and then the logistics, the operations and support for, for the program. So just like the, the engine, if you will, of the, of sure. the organization. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly I didn't mean to, to, um, to put you on as the therapist or anything like that. I understand that. And I appreciate you clarifying that, but sure, you did yeah. start out as the, like you said, the, the, the field guide. So mm-hmm. even though you're not the therapist to some extent, I mean, you, you at least would have to be aware of kind of how to engage with some of these things as that field guide. Right. I mean, like you can't just fly yeah. off the handle <laughs> with the kids. Or no, something. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, one of the things I, when I was coming up, uh, through through the ranks at a, it was a different program. Um, one of the things that I really I really appreciated about that program was actually I would be assigned like a caseload while while mm-hmm. I was in the field. So if you had a group of like ten kids, like depending on what my what my capacity was, like most most companies operate this way. Like you'll have a head instructor, a senior instructor, somebody who's on the ground. Like when 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 the therapists are gone, when the, the directors are gone like the, the staff team has a hierarchy and you have somebody that's in charge making the, making the calls. And so it takes a minute to get to that level. Um, and, and not everybody is right for that role because you, you have to make all the things happen, but depending on what group I was in and, and what, what the, my caseload was, or like what the, the number of kids that were, I might have like two to four clients that I would work with like um, individually, as well as like managing the rest of the group. And then uh, I got to sit in on their like every, their therapy sessions, for instance. Um, so so yeah, I've, I've got a, I've had a lot of exposure uh, through that to to therapy, and then and then you know that company encouraged it, and we do too. Like just read as many books as you can. I mean, like we have a ton here um, uh, to to try to wrap your head around like what it is that we do. But but I do think that there's a distinction that needs to be made between therapist and instructor. And one of the things that I'm wrestling with uh, with my field team is a lot of people get into this work you know, not really knowing what they're getting into and really finding a love for the therapeutic components, which is great. I, I love that. And um, if, if you try to be a therapist, and it, it can actually take away from your ability, I think, to be a field instructor. And so the best field instructors are, are, are you know, they have figured out where they draw that line for themselves um, and have a style that, that integrates the, ther- the therapeutic components and the skills that they're taught and the stuff that they've read and, and with like the personality and the boundaries that they have to hold, because at the end of the day, like that's, that's more of what they're doing is holding boundaries or they're, they're holding, they're the container that holds the program together. When we don't have a building, I mean, I'm in the building right now that I'm at work because we have better internet here than I have at home, but, but, uh, but we, but we, but this is our headquarters and we have like, it's in the, like our kids right now, I have six, uh, group, I have seven groups in the field, like in, 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 in the wilderness. So in um, January in Idaho, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's wild. Man. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just, I no, just, no, it's cool. Yeah. No, 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 I'm proud of that. 
they, your listeners can't see, but I'm I'm smiling with pride on my face. No, I I had a you know like in in, in the program like other other programs are so there's a distinction that can be made between what we do and what other programs do. So uh, we we are what's called a base camp model. So they they'll sleep in in, in heated shelters at night. So so they'll have like uh, we have yurts uh, which actually have like propane furnaces in them, and then we have. Um, also have like these uh, these these shelters that have little wood stoves in them, like these white white canvas walled shelters um, that they'll sleep in on bunks, um, and so that. But I but when man when I cut my teeth in, in the woods, I you know I slept under a tarp, um, uh, with with a negative twenty degree sleeping bag in in northern Utah in, in the wintertime, and, and I freaking loved it, man. Like that's the best sleep of my life, you know. That's but wild. but um but and and so I and, and we had access to shelters but it was sort of a cultural thing and also I, def- I definitely bought into this that it was bad to have to go to so you just stayed away from them unless you were told to go there um, because of like a big storm they were a risk management strategy so ours ours are more integrated in the program so our base camps have some other things like a picnic table like a sun shelter. <clears throat> Um, like food storage, water storage, um, things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, so so the uh, they, they'll have those things, and then um, and then they'll go on expeditions from there. So the the rotation for us, we have like a two week kind of predictable rotation, and 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 the uh, the other model, the, the not the the other kind of side of things, is what they call like more a more nomadic model. So that's where you probably you don't have base camps, but like the program I was talking about. So like. You can you you know you you kind of just wander with your group through the wilderness, um, and kids kind of come and go as as they come in the end of the program and, and exit on their own timeline. Um, and and we still do that too. Like all of our kids come, it's a rolling enrollment. So so the group dynamics are shifting quite often, and you know the, the kid come in, come comes in this week and leaves in ten to twelve weeks from now, and a kid that comes in you know four weeks from now would leave ten to twelve weeks from then. So it's a constantly changing thing um the night there's there's good there's like pros and cons of both of both models but the the whole industry as a whole is is kind of a you know is, is has moved towards like providing some more comfort things to for, for clients i mean like i said like in the old days you know you had you had a survival pack made of a tarp and a wool blanket you know and like maybe some sticks and some cordage and that's it and nowadays we have like full, full suspension, like good suspension backpacks with negative 20 degree sleeping bags, and, you know, and like um, food utensils and water bottles and all kinds of different things. So it's a different, it's a different industry. Um, yeah. It's changed quite a bit. It, it, it's also still the work feels the same. Like I, I did, I had a break between my time at, at, the other program and now I, I did some other things. I ran a program in Colorado for a few years that was more uh, like experiential education focused and, and worked with more like um, under underserved kids um, from kind of inner cities. And then um, and also like worked at, at the other end of the treatment spectrum for young adults is, is this like transitional living, <clears throat> which is a uh, how which for, for 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 adolescents for high school kids they go to like a program that like kind of helps them get through school or maybe a year they'll do a year and then they'll go home or something for for adults they they, if they're not going home or not going to a job or the university they're they're probably going to a transitional living facility which is where it's designed to you know over six to nine months or a year or something 
get them from treatment setting to autonomy. So, so that's, that's, that, that's the way. So I did that for a while too. When I came back to wilderness and I went out to the field, you know, to, to, um, you know, meet clients and stuff. I mean, it just, just the work is still the same. Like working with clients is it's the same set of skills. I think between, you know, base camp model, nomadic model, transitional living, there's, I mean, there's nuances and stuff for age groups and, and behaviors and stuff, but it's, it's, it's all wilderness therapy. In right. my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. talk about you a little bit uh, you know is, is this is this what you thought you were gonna do when you graduated high school and you were like i'm moving out west and i'm gonna get into wilderness therapy and this is my calling or how did that shake out mm, no no not at all <laughs> no. i kind of assumed no, I, it was fun to yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> no man high school i was like uh i played football and i wanted to so i wanted to play football in college and so i went to like a, a small division two school in Joplin called Missouri Southern and played for a year. Um, I didn't, I didn't love, I mean, football wasn't really the same for me in college and I, and I wasn't at the right, I don't think I was at the right school for myself. So I, after just completely screwing up for a couple, a couple years there, um, I, I think I failed two semesters in a row, like my sophomore year took a, I was like, okay, I'm wasting a lot of money and I should take some time off. So I took some time off and I found, and I, and I went, I did a bunch of stuff. I tried to move to like Colorado. I thought I was going to be this like mountain dude. Uh, like, I don't know. I had some weird ideas of what I was going to grow up to be at different phases of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, uh, I moved to Colorado that didn't go that well. And I, and I landed back home like just a few weeks later, like, like broke and with a big like dog bite scar on my hand and just all kinds oh, of, no. he has a story. It doesn't, I need to get sure. Talking. But I, I got, I got, I got, I landed back home, and then I, you know, my parents were like, "What the heck are you doing?" You know, like almost twenty-one. Like, what's going on here? And um, and so I, I think I did like some odd jobs for a little bit, um, and then I found a job. Uh, I just kind of ha- happened to find a uh, these this crew of people that would go down to Arkansas all the time. Um, I was playing disc golf a lot. I think that that <laughs> that's where I met them. And, yeah. uh, and I, I still play, I still play disc golf quite a bit, but, but, or like I try to anyway, I have a family and stuff and, and a pretty yeah. big job now. But, but, uh, anyway, I went to, uh, landed, like started going down to Arkansas, like Newton County. Um, I worked and I got, and I got a job working on at the Buffalo outdoor center, uh, which is in Ponca, Arkansas, which I, I would just put boats on the water. Like, like, uh, they, 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 they run, it's a canoe outfitter on the upper Buffalo. They also have like cabins and stuff. It's, it's like a, it's like a, I think a retreat or resort type place, but, but at the time is more of just like a canoe outfitter and you, and, uh, and I, and I would, I would like, you know, I, I was a boat ape, what they call a boat ape, but just like flip canoes on my back and I'm, you know, walk them down and I'd put them in the water, make sure they had all the gear, tell them, you know, about like how long it would be and see you later. And then I drive their car down and shuttle the car for them. And I do that all day. I do that like four days a week and 
anyway, I, I really liked that job. Um, it just like allowed me to kind of camp and live in this beautiful place in Arkansas. And I started like floating a lot and hiking a lot. So I think that's, you know, but if you go back even further, I think it, the closest thing I like, I just realized this, I think I may have even said this when we talked before, but I, I, I used to work at a summer camp in, in mm. summers in, in high school and, and a little bit in college. And, and so I did like five summers at this Y camp called Camp Wakanda. And I, and I, that's where I, that's where I really like, I really liked, I knew that I liked working with kids. Like that was a fun mm. job. It was a fun job. It's way different than what I do now. Sure. But, but I, but, but some, I mean, kids are kids. That's, that's kind of what I learned. I've learned over, over the time, like that I've, I've been working with them is just, there's a, yeah, all kids are kids. And so um, I, I developed like a, a, a pretty good way of like building rapport with kids and like having fun and using my humor and stuff at, at that camp. And I, and I worked there for like five summers so anyway, when I wanted to kind of stop doing that, I, I, I found the, the Arkansas gig. Um, and I started going down there a lot more like during the year. And, and, and during the, the time where I was like in Telluride, in, in Colorado, like trying like before I kind of failed and went back home, that was where I, I had this kind of awakening moment where I realized that like, I don't know anything really. Like with the amount, like I thought, I think I, I think I had, deluded myself into thinking I was very, very intelligent. I knew everything, you know, and then at 21 with this like broken, like broken hand from my dog biting me and like pretty broke and like living like in this like two bedroom A-frame with like seven people. Mm-hmm. I was at this party, this, this like Christmas party that they threw and these dudes were over there talking I don't know what they were talking about. It was just pure garbage. Uh, I, I, the, they, this, they were just like very crotchety, like ski bum dudes. Like mm. they had these very like strange beliefs about the world. And I, and I, I had enough awareness in that moment. I was like, I don't have enough skills to like cut through the BS in this conversation and talk to these people. But I, I want to be able to, like, I don't know enough. And so that was, I, I, I think I just was like trying to force college before I went to college and because I was what you do, you know, I went to college and, and I was smart enough to like not have to try that hard. And then like just slowly that just stopped working. So once, once I like had, I had this realization, I was like, I want to go back to school. I want to do it next year. So I found a way to fill the time with useful stuff like the, the river. I know I'm meandering a lot, but I, no, no, you're fine. This is great. I worked. Um, and so I worked on the river that, and then I went back to school, um, that, that, that year, but I had failed like a whole year of, of, of my, uh, my undergrad. So they wouldn't let me into like a four year school. I had to go retake classes. And I, so I went to a technical Ozark technical community college and I, and I did, um, and I took a couple semesters and I, I had, a I took a course, an anthropology course. And, uh, that, that was that I just, dude, I loved it, man. Like I, I, um, I fell in love with anthropology and, and math too. Like I've always loved math. So I, so I, I kind of, I was like, well, I'm just going to pursue these two things as far as they, they'll take me. And I ended up graduating, you know, with a four year degree with, uh, uh, you know, a major in anthropology and a minor in math. But, um, but I, uh, I, it also, I, I kind of impressed a teacher, a couple of teachers and I, and it, that started this sort of thing where, every summer I would do some sort of big mission, like whatever I, so I went to Oman, um, in the middle East, uh, that, I think that, that summer 
uh, that, that first summer after my first year back in school. Um, because I, because I, you know, this, this teacher had done a dig over there for her, her dissertation and had, uh, she knew of, of an opportunity and she helped me get in on this opportunity. And so I went to Oman and did some archeology span for a couple months. Um, this is gonna, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to ask this was, was please. the person you were there with by chance Yuri? Yeah. yeah, it was. So, so yeah, I know Misha. Yeah, I know Misha. Um, I, I met him obviously through Yuri. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I know. Yeah, no, that was part of that. I, I know it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. So Yuri, so Yuri, that, that wasn't the professor. Um, the professor that right. I met at, at OTC was Jana Owen and she's, yeah. and she, she had worked under Yuri. Um, over at, at, uh, yeah, over there. And so I went over there and I worked and I did, we worked, uh, we worked, it was, and actually, man, I've reconnected with a, a buddy of mine that, that I, that I, that I met on that trip and we've stayed friends over the years and he and I have been, been chatting lately. It's been really cool to, to catch awesome. up, but, but, uh, but yeah, so I did that dig and, uh, and so I was like, I want to do archeology span that that's what I want to do. But this is like the nature of my mind and how I pursue things. Like I get really attached, like really into stuff for a while. And then I move on to other things and anthropology is really fascinating. And so when I went back, so I, I, that was, I, you know, at OTC, they had like intro to anthropology and then they had like cultural anthropology, I think. And, and so I did those and then I transferred to Missouri state and did in depth, like anthropology like in the department and in their anthropology department so it's four subfields linguistics and linguistic anthropology biological anthropology and uh, archaeology and cultural anthropology and so i um i really fell in love with biological anthropology and i did and i and i did some work with a professor um on a like a diabetes prevention education project with uh latin american youth um we did did some work with uh, with her and then and I and I did another archaeological archaeological survey on the on the west coast, uh, southern Washington, with another professor one summer. And so I just like, did all these things, and I I found that once I like, you know, I pursued when I was pursuing my passion, it was really easy to go to school, and like I didn't really need to try hard. It was just like a so I managed to graduate, um, and and then I did not know what I was going to do, and I thought I was probably going to become a like I wanted to be a professor. I think a lot of people that go into the sciences, like think at least I, I think that anyway, it's kind of the way I think um, wanted to be a professor. So I'm going to go get a you know PhD somewhere, but I was kind of burnt out on school and I was wanting to like experience the world. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I had had a friend, uh, a friend that, you know, uh, that had um, graduated about a year before me, maybe a year and a half. And, uh, and he had come back home for Christmas uh, and, and told him, and was like, uh, and he, and, and, uh, he'd been working at this place called second nature, which is in, in Utah. It's a wilderness therapy program. And he was like, Hey man, like, you know, you, I think you'd be good at this and I think you'd like it. Um, and plus if you come and you do well, then they'll give me extra money. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, you should come out here. So yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll share it with you. But, um, but anyway, he, <laughs> He'll know now. He still owes you. <laughs> so we, so we went, so we went, we went out. I went, uh, graduated like in August. I dude, I delayed my graduation for like two full semesters. Like I was pretty burnt out. Finally, I figured out a way out, and I, I finished my. I, fit, I had to write a, a really robust paper and get some college credit for it. So I, I did that, 
And, I, and uh, meanwhile, I was also like, before I would do these missions in the summer, I was working on it at a different place on the King River in Arkansas. Like for, I'd do like maybe a month or two of the summer before I'd go do something else just to save up a little bit of money and have some fun. So I, I did that one more time. Uh, and then uh, graduated in August. And I think it was like a week later, I, I went on my, my first, my training seminar, which, which most of these companies, we do the same thing. We'll, we'll invite people to a seminar to like, or like a tryout where they'll do like a week out there and, and, and we'll kind of treat them like the clients and we'll, and to give them an idea of the field and what it's like and what the job's like. And then, and see how they tick and sometimes it's not the right fit and so we won't offer the job after that and a lot of the time they do it's, it seems like a good fit but that so i did my tryout um and they offered me the job and um dude my first my first night in the field on my we had a four-hour lightning storm with like gra- cloud to ground lightning every like five to ten seconds and it was it was gnarly <laughs> yeah and i'd never been anything like that and i'd been camping and stuff for a long time but this is like we were like ten thousand feet in the uns like you in the mountain range. And it was just a gnarly, like we lost, there was a person that was like, I'm done after that. She like left the next morning, but the rest of us made it through. And, uh, and uh, they offered a job to all of us. And I went on the green shift cause that's where my buddy was. And most of them went to the blue shift, but a lot of those people like I'm still friends with, like they, they ended up lately staying in the industry. There's a bunch of them became therapists. I'm a program director. So yeah, um, it was a worthwhile experience. I did three years in the field. Um, what I will say this, like when I first started, it will like, there's so much man about communication, like assertive communication in general, but just like the way we communicate is so much more complicated than I think than I had ever thought, you know, it could be before I, you know, my, had my eyes open before people started pointing out like how, how little words actually matter and how much like the rest of communication matters. Like it's like, a the like words are like the tip of the spear, right? Like the rest of like the, the guy holding the spear and the, the spear itself, like, you know, like is like, you know, mannerisms, like body posturing, like the clothes you wear, like how your eyes move, like all like your breathing patterns, like all these other things like matter. Huh. And then like, and then when you start dialing into like the, even get into the, the words people use, like people aren't used to having to be assertive. Anyway, I, I got, I just, dude, I fell in love with it. I, I knew I wanted to become a senior instructor, like within a week, like I knew, I just knew, you know? And like, so, so, and I think I was a little too gung ho. So they kind of held me back and I had a lot to work on, you know? Um, it's a big growth exercise. Uh, take like kind of starting with like having no idea what this is and then getting to where like, you're one of the people making everything happen. It's, it took me wow. about a year I tell, I tell all of my new instructors that I think it takes about two years to get truly great at this. It's a quote I borrowed from like an owner of, of, of that other program. You know, like I, I, he, he said that when I was a year in and I was like grumpy about it because I was like, I'm really good. You know what I mean? But, but, but like I got better, you know, after another year, you know, I got even better you know, I, I don't know that I got a lot better in my third year, but I mean, the, the field just slows way down and like what can seem like a, a really crazy crisis uh, can be completely predictable for somebody who has like the right, knows what to look for. So um, I just, I fell in love with it, man. That was the coolest job I ever had, like being at, being out there. I, it's really tough though. The field instructors have a, have a, they have to, they have to learn how to live two lives because they're on half of the time they're on 
trail. They live out in the field. They sleep under with the, with the clients, like under tarps or in shelters or in tents or whatever. They're, they're on trail guiding, guiding them, you know, and then, and then, ha- and then they come off, they uh, come off shift and they're, when they're, they're replaced by another shift of, of people and then they, and they go home and they do whatever they do completely off. So it's, it's a very different lifestyle. So I, I don't, I didn't work. I mean, I worked through about three years straight. There was like, there were times I took like a shift off or, 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 and then I, the my last little bit I was doing, I, I did some logistics stuff, um, just like backup, like transport, stuff like that, um, for a little while. But I think I have like 75 weeks or something that wow. I spent out there. So that's why, huh? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's a really interesting story. And I think it's a, an important one for people to hear because, um, there's a lot of emphasis, I think, in our culture on, you know, like I said, like when I oh, you know, half jokingly positioned the question to you, but like, oh, well, so when you graduated high school, is this what you were going to do? But I think there's this idea that like, as a person, you're supposed to know what you're going to do. And if you don't know when you're in high school, then you better know by the time you're 22. And it's just not, it's just not accurate. I mean, certainly some people are able to, to find something and just kind of march right through into it. And so I don't mean that it can't exist. But I think there right. are a lot of stories that are more similar to the one you described, where um, it 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 probably isn't serendipitous, but to look at it from the broad scope, it almost kind of seems that way to some extent, right? Like you're just hanging out with some friends and going to work at the river, and then that kind of leads to this, and that kind of leads to that. And probably there was maybe even subconsciously some something kind of pushing you to these things, right? But um, yeah. But in the end, you found something that's meaningful that's fulfilling um and that that uh, yeah i mean again i'm not trying to flatter you but it's just it's really cool the work that, that you guys are doing um so this is kind of a a silly question perhaps but and i know again i, I understand you're not the therapist <laughs> but like when you go no, home, is it hard do you find yourself like applying the same things that you do yeah. with clients yeah. to your family <laughs> like yeah <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know how universal it is, but I, I mean, I used to talk about it as being pretty universal that like as a phase of field instructors uh, go through. And, and like I said, I've never been a therapist, so I don't know. I don't know if this would be true for therapists. And I hope that there's probably there's training around this because we, we received some. Um, I mean, I think I think this like a little bit like akin to kind of what you're saying is I used to assume that all the therapists were probably like amazing parents because like they're so good at like just dialing mm-hmm. things down. But it just turns out like the nature of the relationship actually is you can't, you can't be your kid's therapist, man. You're their parent. So, so like, you know, it's just very naive, I think uh, concept for me to think that. So, but when I was a relatively new instructor, I would say like, uh, like I was an assistant, but I was, I was, you know, I was getting a little big for my britches. I thought, I thought I was, you know, really good at what I did and I, um, I would, I would kind of turn it on. Yeah. Like you, you get, you get kind of a, a good, you start to develop a, a good BS detector, you know, like start to, you know, you watch mannerisms. I, I don't know how good it is actually, but you, you get really good at, at turning people's conversations like back on them. So if they're expressing frustration, I mean, you can ask them some questions about like, you know, you know, why, why, you know, just get some insight as to what the actual frustration is. And, and, and the thing, the thing is you're armed with like the secret knowledge that like your emotions aren't about other people. They're just not, they're about you. So if, so if somebody's frustrated and they're trying to make, 
make you feel what they're feeling like that or make you uncomfortable it turns out like most of the time like that's a distraction so that they don't feel whatever they're feeling inside or, or, or some version of that. So like, for instance, like there's this idea of like primary and secondary emotions is something that's like taught to a lot of field instructors really early on. So if I say like, I'm, you know, in any, any, the truth is any emotion can be primary or primary or secondary. And the way we kind of distinguish it between the two is like a primary emotion is, is usually felt first, like underneath, like, and it's about me, about my belief system. So and a secondary emotion is something that we kind of shift that into because it's a because it it facilitates us feeling a little bit better about whatever the situation is or whatever the belief is. A good example for me to be like a vulnerable example, just to tell you like kind of one of my patterns, and this is like a classic sort of like male stereotype, is I have this like belief, uh, this underlying belief of like I am like I want to be like I'm like in control and I want to be and I want to be smart and like understand things. Right. So, so like, those are, that's like the way I, you know, it's just some things about like, I want those things for myself. So like I, so I believe I am, I should be in control. I believe I should understand things. So when I'm in a situation that's not in my control and I don't under and, or I don't understand it, then I feel powerless and confused. Right. Because that that's like, this is, it's like confronting a core, like a belief about myself. So powerlessness and confusion sucks. I hate feeling those things <laughs> because I want to be in control and I want to, you know, and I want to, I want to understand things. So what I do is I turn into anger or frustration. I go like, and, and what I can do, I get, it's, it's this, like, it gives me this false sense of control over the emotion. I can, I can fuel it. I can make it about, no, I'm not, I'm not powerless and confused anymore. Now I'm angry. Now I'm angry and it's your fault. And I can generate it. I can anger it. I can like aim it at somebody or something. Um, and, and I'm all of a sudden, I'm not feeling powerless and, and confused anymore. You know, I, I had a, I had a really, a really, but so you get, you go to conferences and stuff, you know, for, for continuing education units or, or just for marketing purposes, or just to share best practices and stuff like in this industry, I think a lot of industries are like that. So we have conferences and Blue Fire just joined uh, outdoor behavioral healthcare, for instance, this last year, it's like an effort that I've been really working on and I'm really, really start to be on, on that council and in part of that, that organization. There's some really amazing people and amazing programs that, that there's a lot to learn from. Uh, but anyway, so I was, I wasn't actually at one of those conferences. I was at a local, like kind of school related conference. And this guy, this guy like has a ball, this, this, this presenter, he has a ball and he just, picks a volunteer and he tosses them the ball and the, and the volunteer catches it and they throw it back. And he goes, how'd you, how'd you do that? How'd you, how'd you catch that ball? How'd you, how'd you throw it back? And she, and, and she, so she's like, well, I have, I have boys, you know, and she's like kind of prideful about it. And so I've played catch a lot. He, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, like if, if he's like, you have thrown a ball probably thousands or tens of thousands of times and caught one. Did you, when you did that, did you consider how, how your wrist moved and all the subtle things. If you consider how you made the, how do you made, you added backspin to the ball to make sure it would fly through the air. Did you, did you calculate the distance in your mind that I am from you? Like there's, there's a, there's a million small things, maybe more that you're calculating and doing, and you have no awareness of it because you have done it so many times. So that's what your brain does. You, you, you have a subconscious and you, and your brain can calculate and do a lot more in the subconscious than it can in the conscious mind. And so what it does with, when you're losing, when you're learning new tasks and new and new skills, it takes, it takes, you, you take all this repetition and practice 
and your brain will drive it into the subconscious. Then it becomes automatic. It becomes a reaction. Now apply that to emotional shifts. If every time I feel powerless and confused and I turn it into anger, my brain gets better and better and better and better at doing that to the point where I can, I can actually not have the experience of powerlessness or confusion and like the cognitive experience, my brain just sees it coming, turns it into anger, and now I'm angry. So if you have a kid who's, who's angry a lot, right, that's going to cause problems in their life. Like people don't like angry people, you know? And so, right. so that's, I mean, so you learn, you learn stuff like that, like, like little things like that. Um, that that arm you with this understanding of of how emotions work in the mind, how 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 people make decisions, and you can use that understanding for oh, ideally for good <laughs> to help people bring bring sure. awareness. But but if I'm but, but when I was at home, I would have you know my buddy would tell me maybe like you know maybe drunkenly tell me he wants to stop drinking someday, right? And and I would just go to like yeah cool man I'll take you to a meeting. You know, like I, you know, cause you just, you learn how to just like cut through all of it, just go right to like the heart of it. Mm-hmm. But he's not saying that that's not what he wants from me. I'm his friend. I'm not his therapist. I actually right. made my mom really mad once. <laughs> <laughs> she was gossiping and, and I didn't like it. And I was being, and I felt uncomfortable. And so I, and that's the thing is that I got really good at using it. And then, so I, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of, it can be kind of dangerous. Like, and so you have to develop boundaries. I think, I think early on, I think it's really easy for someone like me, who's like really interested in these things and curious about them to just arm themselves with a bunch of tools, like, and, and that are, that are, that make us very powerful in, in, in communication and, and make us very powerful in the field and give us a lot of control. And I think then at like the, for me anyway, the next, the next level of skills that I needed to acquire was like the appropriateness of using these tools and like mm-hmm. and, and a really good guiding set of principles that allow me to, to use them when it's good and for good things and not to use them when I'm talking to my mom or my friend, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that that's, um, you know, I, I obviously I don't do anything, like, like what you do professionally or, or anything like that. So I have, I have literally zero knowledge. I'm, I'm you when you were 20, whatever, and realized you knew nothing. I'm 37 and I know nothing. So, um, but you know, I'm a human being. And so I talk to my friends and my family and, and they'll ask me for advice, not because they think I'm brilliant, just like everyone does with their friends and family. So it's not special as my, yeah. point. Okay. but I, I just, I'm not trying to inflate myself at all is, is what I'm trying to get to. No, I, you're doing a very good job of deflating yourself, but no, no, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, but, but what you're saying is super normal, man. Like it's, it's like, it's, you don't have to, I don't think you have to worry about coming off that way. In my sure. opinion. That's yeah. probably fair. Um, I am people that know me day to day literally make fun of me for how often I preface things. So it's a, it's a, oh, okay. it's a, it's some sort of triggered behavior that I've ingrained into myself. <laughs> I just now learned. Um, <laughs> but no, the, the point is just that, you know, I, um, I have found myself thinking that I know how to help someone when the truth is, is that I don't have the tools that, a that certainly that a, that a, that a field instructor would have even, and, and they're not even a therapist and certainly not even approaching what a therapist would have because I don't have that 
training and that education. Um, and, and I found that in me trying to like, oh, I know how to help you. I'll, I'll give you some advice. I, I, I've done more harm than good, right? I mean, I haven't, you know, caused anyone to do any real permanent damage or anything, but just I end up causing fractures in the relationship. I end up causing um, just, you know, and maybe it's not over a long period of time, but even if it's just in that in that one conversation, I end up making the other person uncomfortable and I feel uncomfortable. But it's because of, of kind of what you're talking about, where it's like, A, I'm not a therapist. I don't have those skills anyway, but B that's not why they're here talking to me. Right. So I think I just, I guess it just really fascinates me. The point you make about the importance of the, the lane that that relationship is in between two individuals, regardless of who they are outside of that particular relationship. Um, yeah, totally, man. Yeah. It's helpful. It's, it's helpful. Like, mm-hmm. like as a field guide, as a field instructor, like I, I got to a point where I, I have no problem. Like, telling a kid to, you know, or asking a kid to deal with some uncomfortable situation, right? Like that it's part of the program. It's part of my, my, our relationship. And so like, I, I got, I think, yeah, that was, that's a good thing to, to like consider when we're talking about this stuff. Like what is appropriate for our relationship? One of the things that I, I used to tell kids a lot and I, and I, I don't have as much direct care, uh, you know, in my life right now as, as I used to. When I was, when I was in the field, obviously a lot of client, direct client care. I mean, a lot of, a lot of interaction, but, um, you know, it's like 16 to 18 hours or 15 to 18 hours a day. You know, something like right. Days. But, but, um, but I think that like, one of the things that you should tell them, you know, is like, I'm not your friend. Like we're not friends, like friends, friends organically develop friendships organically develop. And like, if you look at what a friendship is, like it is a, it's this thing that like, if I was like, you know, maybe I met you at a, you know, an event or like a, we go back to high school or something but like we would be like contemporaries in some some sort of fashion and like but like our whole relationship is identified by the fact that you are in a program and i work for that program like the program is our it it it, our, it orchestrates the nature of our relationship and so i am you you know i could be kind of a mentor i can be a field instructor i can also just be like a bossy dude like i'm going to try to help you as best as i know how um, and the organization has helped give me parameters that I can operate within fluidly. And the longer I was in that organization, the better I got at operating parameters. And you know, and and, and uh, yeah. And so I, I would just I like to put stuff out there just in a way that just kind of I don't know. Like I said earlier, kind of just cuts through all the all the, all the chatter and allows us to just like let's just be honest about the nature of a relationship, so we can get past all that. Like I, if you you know, if I have a kid that's like spending a bunch of time you know, trying to like impress me with like their whatever, like, because they like, they like, because we, they found out we like the same kinds of music, which I'm fine with that. That's fine. But like, but if they, if it becomes like a distraction to the work that we're doing, then it's violating the nature of the relationship. And I shouldn't, shouldn't engage in that. Or I need to at least need to deal with it and establish the boundaries of like, Hey, let's, let's only talk about this during dinner because like we're talking about it way too often. You know, and it's and it's becoming a distraction. From the rest of the experience mm. of your program. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense.
what is a misconception that what and it doesn't have to be the the number one or, or something, but just what's a common misconception that people have about the kind of treatment that you guys are offering? Or is there one that you're even aware of? Yeah, no, there's there's one that's like hoods in the woods. That's a that's a common that's a common uh, way of talking about it. And it's 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 uh, uh, this idea that it's like a bunch of like bad kids, like just in the woods. Um, also, mm. boot camp get, get tossed around. Um, you know, and I, uh, and the, like Dr. Dr. Phil had, and, and there's other, you know, talk show hosts who like, you know, famously sort of sent kids to treatment in the past. And, uh, and they're, they've even sent kids to outdoor behavioral health, healthcare programs in the past. And I, and I think that any kind of, uh, and, and there are, yeah. And there are like, I think there's even like modern TV shows that, that are doing something like that, but I, I'm not, I'm not a TV consumer so i don't i don't, I don't yeah, actually either. yeah we live in the mountains and i don't have cable or satellite so i don't i, don't, I watch movies i just hate commercials more than i can put words to yeah. so yeah that's me too like, dude it's, they're 50, awful years ago i was like i'm done with tv i can get it all on the web and i can do ad <laughs> good. on that i'm good oh yeah that's smart man that's super smart yeah i think i think i think those are the the sets a lot of the misconceptions i mean and then, and then you get, I mean, if you go online and you look at some programs, like you'll see, like, it's really easy to leave reviews and stuff. I mean, the thing is like, we're dealing with families in crisis. And so like, there's a lot about it. That's I think really important. Like confidentiality is super important. I mean, like, I don't, you know, like people, nobody, it's nobody's business, like what your family's going through, you know what I mean? And, and I think so that and is a, is and then and then like professionalism we want people to feel cared for you know this is a, a type of healthcare you know it's behavioral healthcare but it's it's, it's definitely a type of healthcare we're, we're hoping to improve people's lives right um and so I, th- I think that those are some of the misconceptions is that like it's a bunch of bad kids i mean like i said earlier kids are kids man like whether a kid is like I, I don't know i just have a lot of empathy for young people like they're going through they're going through all these changes and predicting like how they're going to like end up is pretty difficult, you know, to do. And a lot of our, a lot of the kids that we have had things like that I've, you know, I've worked with in the past in this company at, at the ranch that they're in or any, any of the places, even at the Y camp, man, like, like it's hard for me to look at their lives and say like, you know, where you're at is you know, due to your decisions. I mean, they inherited their situation, like literally. So I, I, I think that that's, that's a, I think, yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I think a lot of times, like, there may be a misconception that um, that hard edges work, like hard, hard programs work the best. Like, mm-hmm. like there's, it's not an accident that the industry has become a lot more clinically sophisticated and diverse, um, like trauma-informed care, like attachment, um, attachment disorders, like mood disorders, personality disorders. These are complex behavioral disorders or, 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 you know, at least like, you know, behavior patterns that, that kids are in. And I think that like, it, it's, it's a little bit, uh, I'd be insincere if I said like, everybody needs to just learn how to survive in the back country. Like some kids come here and they're, they're extremely good at that. Really, really good. I mean, I've had kids that have like trained to do that at like camps and things in the past. And so we'll, you know, where like, so they come in, they're ready. They're, they're, they're busting fires right away, but busting a fire is a, is a very classic skill in wilderness therapy where you, you use, uh, typically it's going to, the easiest way to do it is a bow drill set. So you make, you make a spindle, you make a, a fireboard, 
uh, and you make a bow and, and with some cordage and, and a top rock or a top piece. And you essentially, um, you know, put the spindle through the quarters of the bow and use the, and use the top piece to hold the spindle in place and then the, the fireboards underneath it. And you move the bow back and forth and you're able to create a ton of friction between the spindle and the fireboard. And it makes a bunch of punk and that if you get it hot enough, it turns with the friction, it turns into a little ember. And then you put that into a nest of net, you know, thing nesting and you can blow it into flame. So that's something that like anybody is worth their, you know, salt in, in, uh, wilderness therapy is able to do at least before they're in there they're well that's 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 awful i can't say that so <laughs> a lot of kids aren't, aren't able to do it but I, I i feel really strongly that it's a skill that everybody should learn i i i love being able to bust i i it's like a i don't know it's just really cool like if i have a knife and like a in like shoelaces and i'm in the back country somewhere and like that's all i have like i could probably get us a fire pretty pretty easily huh. so that's okay. kind of you know that's kind of a cool skill. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So this is totally unrelated to the therapy side of it at all, but have sure. you ever seen on YouTube this channel called Primitive Technology? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those guys are sweet, man. I mean, that's way more advanced than anything I can do, though. Well, there's this one dude who makes a video, a, a series of videos. It's just him by himself, and I think he must be in, like, I think he's in, like, New Zealand or Australia or somewhere, but it's not here in the U.S., but... um. But he like he actually has two series like he was on I don't know if it was public land or someone he knew and then he bought his own land and started all over. But he goes out of the woods. I mean, I say with nothing, obviously, he's got a cell phone because he's recording it. So it's not like he's <laughs> literally naked and afraid kind of thing or something. But okay. um, but he has no tools and he creates from scratch like he he makes a, the the simplest tools and over time eventually has like brick tiles and clay pottery that he's made and like goes all the way into like iron actually <laughs> it's, it's that's not incredible that's really but cool it, the reason i'm thinking of this is because he does what you're talking about where and, and he his is actually i think maybe a little more primitive even but he just has the the stick that he puts down on the board like you're talking about and he just does it between his hands and just rubs it back and forth really fast and you know creates the, the punk like you're talking about and then yeah, that's called it. a hand it's called a hand drill so okay. bow drill, bow, hand drill, hands. Yep. Mm-hmm. I yeah, can't yeah. do that yet. I really, I think I'm going to, I think 2021 is when it's going to happen for me, man. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I never put in the effort, but I really, I want to. His hands are destroyed from doing it because I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's crazy. So there's, huh. dude, there's a technique called the floating, like floating hand technique where, where, cause like the easiest way is to where you just go down the spindle, like increase yeah, friction. That's how he does it. Yep. There's a way to do it where you don't like you push down with one hand and pull up with the other, where your hand stays up on top of it. It's so elegant and beautiful huh. and, and it just looks and it, it, there's something so simple about it that like where you could just have two pieces of, of dried wood or, or, or there's certain things that work really well, like yucca works really well or um, mullein and cottonwood, but you could just have those two things. That's even simpler than a bow drill. I, I, I really would love to have that skill. It's a cool skill. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's that's hand drilling. There's also flat fire plows and, and, other, and a few other things that you can do. Um, I think bow drilling is the, the easiest. Well, spark spark rockings the easiest. But that's well, if the zombie apocalypse game. comes at some point, I might drive out to Idaho and ask you to start. <laughs> I don't have to do any of it. Sure, so. sure, 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 sure. <laughs> oh man, 
Dude, dude, zombie apocalypse. You, you, you could just do the old thumb drill. I mean, there's plenty of lighters, you know, laying oh, around. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I. It's been yeah. It's any anyway. Kind of back to what we were talking about. I think like yeah, yeah, sorry. so. I just that, no, no, no. It's good. I don't apologize. So, so I, so I had a so, so I don't think so. There's kids that are really good at that stuff, and and this is what this is why I think this level of treatment works really well and because we can, we can really assess the kid and then curtail our interventions to like match like what they need for growth and change. So if a kid is really, really like, they may be really, a kid might not need to learn how to survive. Like they may be really good at that, but they're like a total jerk to all their friends and they have very little, like very low self-esteem you know, but they, they project confidence and they project all this stuff. And, and so people, you know, and they just turn people away and they're really sad and isolated, but they like cover it up. You know, if that kid's out there and, 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 and they're just really good at their survival pieces and we never talk about how they use the survival pieces to distract from like the shame that they have and like low self-worth, then like, what kind of good are we doing for that kid? So I think that I, for my, my, my opinion is that like all of the things that we do, blue fire or other programs too like are are like they they depending on the kid like they're all just tools to use like to get them you know to 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 that growth place and to, to get them to look you know authentically at some of the things that that, that, have, that are really tough for them to look at and to start start moving and changing some of those things um that's yeah so so i i don't know i over time it's yeah i think it's it's been we are, we do so many things here, man. It's almost like too many things. Like we, we, not, I, I can't really say we do too many things, but we, so we do equine therapy. We do um, horseback riding. We do adventure therapy. They do expeditions. We do a very robust family therapy program. They're, all of these things, like, like Blue Fire is the only one that I know that does all of that stuff. Like, like in a consistent rotation, like, you know, and I think that's part of the reason, like why we have to do like this two week rotation. And, 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 and I, I started to kind of describe that earlier. I could go into it a little bit, but basically it's like, the, the, so every two weeks is really predictable. They'll, they'll, they'll be in base camp for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, their base camps kind of move around depending on where they're at in the desert, but they're like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they'll be at a base camp. And then one week, they'll Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they'll do expeditions. So that's where they're, you know, they're packing up everything, they put it on their backs, and they, they walk to another location and they set up camp there and they do that four days in a row. And then on Sunday night, they let they they're the end wherever they end is going to be like another base camp. So they kind of come back into a base camp. And then um, they're in base camp the next three days. And they do, and and that's where they do all, a lot of the like talk therapy. So the their primary therapist comes out and does their individual therapy. They'll do their group therapy sessions out there. That's also when they're in base camp, they'll they'll get transported to go of course to a, a ranch where they do horseback riding one week. On the on the other week, they'll they'll get transported to go and do like ground based non mounting uh, equine assisted therapy. And then, um, but anyway, at the end of week two, uh, that like. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're in base camp. They, they then would do adventure. So, so that's where they'll go like canoeing or rafting in the summer or hike. Like we might do day hiking in really cool places where we can't really backpack to, or they'll do um, in the winter time, they'll do like snowshoeing, cross country skiing. Um, we'll go like uh, they'll, they'll get to go uh, rock climbing, mountain biking, things like that. 
And, um, and that, and that happens with, uh, with an adventure person that, that helps facilitate the adventure and then the staff. And then there's a milieu therapist that often accompanies them on like their expeditions and at least parts of parts of them and their, uh, and the adventure, um, activities and we'll do therapy in conjunction with those activities. Like, like what's coming up for you, you know, while you're on the wall, for instance, um, you know, rock climbing, if a kid, if a kid has like a big breakthrough moment and they start climbing, it's like, Hey, let's talk about that. Like what happened for you? Like, why did you choose to go higher than last time or, or whatever? So, so, um, but that's just, it's just so much. And then about, and then, uh, before COVID we, uh, about half, well, a little over halfway, like maybe two thirds of the, between half and two thirds of the way through a kid's stay, like week six or seven, their parents would come to the program. And we would, uh, and we do this, this family workshop we call family spark and they go to a, they go like, we'll do like a few families at once. So they go to like a special location, uh, for like three days and three nights. And they do this, this workshop where they get to see the progress that's been made. They also get to then kind of set boundaries and look at like what's coming next. And so like, how, how are we going to finish the program strong? And I think, I think doing the family piece, like at that critical junction in, juncture in the, in the, in the, in the, the clients, like, you know, program is, is just really awesome because, because like, I, I think a lot of, a lot of times I've seen like parents come in at the end of a program. So they see the whole, they see like what, you know, right before the kid goes home or, or onto another program, they're, they're seeing like the end, but to have them involved in the process, like that, that, that in depth and to not only like see these things, but like, we, we don't want it to go perfectly. Like we want it, we want there to be authentic things that come up in that time because, you know, because it's important that that happens. So they have a, like a real experience of like, they get to see the progress, but they also get to see like how much progress is left to, to go. Um, and patterns that, that, that were, you know, really prevalent before they're going to come out in that process. And, um, with COVID we've moved it to the end and it's unfortunate and that's just a risk management strategy because we have parents coming into the program. So we're trying to, trying to, you know, trying to do our best to, 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 to keep our, our clients and staff safe. Um, so we do have parents come in, um, at the end now and, and do a, do family spark. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where we can move it back to, to that, that like, you know, earlier in the client's stay. Um, I think it's really, really, it's just way more powerful. Oh, no, I mean, it's powerful I just, right. I really, it's like, it's like, it's tailor made for that, that part of their, that part of their stuff. Yeah. But just so doing all of that takes like a ton of like logistics and like planning. And, and, and that's, that's ultimately like what I spend a lot of my time doing is, is thinking about those things mm-hmm. and making sure that we have the system set up so that we can accommodate all of, all of those different pieces because they are so important. Um, and, uh, but that, that gets to be, yeah, it, it can be like, you know, I've been doing, I've been, I've been here about three years. So I've gotten, I've got it down, you know, pretty, pretty well. And I'm always looking to, to grow and see what's next and stuff. But, but um, yeah, that's, that's what, that's what I really, the big picture makes, make sure that the whole thing works for everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, and, and you're certainly welcome to just say, you know, no, um, that you don't want to share anything like this, but Sure. And certainly it could be from a long time ago, so maybe it's not quite as, as, as personal for, for someone now. But is there any is there any story from your time as a field instructor where that that stands out that you would be comfortable to share, like with with a client where there was like a a moment where where it was that really resonated with you, that stuck out with you above 
the others and, and again maybe not or maybe it's not appropriate to share because like you said confidentiality is important and i'm not trying to name well, yeah no no i wouldn't name names um okay i got i got a small like innocuous example so cool. of something that might be might be relatively interesting so um this is actually here when i when i first started here i had the opportunity to actually go on trail and and um so i was in a girls group it's a small girls group and uh and we um we were we were uh it was uh yeah so three three gals there was this one that'd been there for like i'd say eight weeks so and then these other two had been there like maybe three four weeks one of the clients um was really uh we'll call her sally so sally was really uh really she had had this very um difficult uh sort of like she she would have these panic attacks in the middle of the night she'd start screaming and and like like in, in the early part of her stay she would scream and like run out of the of the tent and like the the shelter the winter shelter and just scream and stand outside and scream for like many many minutes or, or hours and then and and it would take a lot to just get her to, to stop screaming and calm down and bring her in so that was probably i mean dude she did that for like two or three weeks um i think at least um when i worked with her like directly she she wasn't um doing that anymore but her but she would still have like it would that that pattern would still show up of like kind of panic and overwhelm she was really hard on herself so um the way, the way it would it would sort of manifest on trail is, is she would struggle to pack up things like in the morning, like she would be putting things in her pack and then she would like take everything out and then she'd like start packing it again, like in a different order. And she would do this over and over and over again. And then as she's doing it, she's like, oh, I got to do more things. And, and if the group put any, like any kind of temporal pressure on her, like, Hey, we're, 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 it's time to go. We got to get, it would just escalate her further. So it was best we found to just sort of let her do this and then like kind of process and debrief later. This is another client that was probably, I mean, my, my take on it and we, we call her like, I don't know, let's call her, let's call her Jennifer. So Jennifer had, uh, had, was more like, um, she was pretty small, kind of young, um, and, and I would, I, to, I don't want to go too far into like what my, my sure. interpretation is she was, she was full of crap in a lot of ways. She, she was using like a lot of like, she just, she would use like the most obvious things to sort of like about her personality to sort of like block um, like any sort of insight into her, into her, the way that she was working or her actual difficulties. Like, and that's super common, man. Like mm. a lot of a lot of kids, like when they come in the program, they don't trust the staff. They don't trust, you know, the therapists at all. I mean, they, they didn't come here on their own. Their parents sent right. them here. So it takes a while to sort of get them used to things sometimes. And that's kind of the phase that she was in. And like, she was really fun. Like she was a fun girl. She would sing and she would, um, and she would tell jokes and stuff. And she was a little younger than the other two clients. And then the third client, you know, we can call her, um, I don't know blinking let's call her laura so laura was um was a uh was kind of she was the oldest of the three and and she was kind of uh the leader she'd been there the longest too like maybe eight weeks in so she's getting close to the end of her stay she's very comfortable um and she's very like 
And she was very predictable. She actually wore her big thing was she wore everything, like her, all of her emotions on her sleeves. And she kind of used that to sort of intimidate people out of like, maybe like talking to her um, or like, you know, questioning her, or judging her or whatever. She would try to intimidate you, but it was, but it was actually, what was funny is that, you know, it kind of worked against her because it was really obvious how to like work her up. Right. Like, so the other clients, when they were like wanting to like work her up, they would kind of pick at these things that she made really obvious that she cared about. So there was this one night, it was towards the end of the shift and we're all just like, we're having night group, which we do every night and, and, and we're checking in. And um, the uh, J- Jennifer started started actually opening up about something that seemed a lot more real than, than anything that she had talked about before. And what she was talking about was, I think mostly when I remember was just like her, um, her ability to like, she, she just was expressing shame. Like in in the in in just like some choices that she had made, I think for the most part. And there's a classic thing that happens when people express shame is that somebody will try to um, convince them they shouldn't. You know, they, they try to rescue them from that feeling. So so right. they say like you don't need to feel that way. But uh, Laura was like skirting this like she was straight up like it started out as like kind of rescuing and then it started just turning into just bullying this other person like in this this group and and like and and i don't remember exactly what but i was getting like more and more uncomfortable and what was really cool was for the first time jennifer was actually um talking back not the first time but she was talking back to laura and and they were having this like kind of back and forth um where whereas before jennifer would 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 not really hold any boundaries with with Laura she would just she would just kind of be quiet and so now there's like this dynamic so it's kind of letting it play out and like Laura was like escalating more and more and more so um at one point I just was like you are being a bully like I just cut her off and like I'm about to kick you out of group and she just flips out and like you know flips over whatever's like I think a book in front of her and she like storms out of the yurt and I just you know and I just go and watch and watch her. And she goes and like assaults the picnic table with a stick. And she's just like super upset. And then she like starts crying and sitting by herself. And I was just like keeping eyes on her, making sure that she was still still there. And um, and I just stood there and I chose not to engage because I didn't think that, that was helpful. I mean, it's like behavior that like isn't, you know, I'm not gonna reward it with like engagement and go and like calm her down. Mm-hmm. She's, she's actually, she was like 16, almost 17. Like she needs to calm down, be able to calm herself down. And like what I just said was, was, was true. Like she was being a bully. Um, anyway, I think what was cool is the other, the other gal, I can't remember. So not Laura, not Jennifer. I don't remember. Sally. Yeah, Sally. So Sally had just straight up never held a boundary with, with Laura. And like in that moment, like. Like, I think right after I was like, you're being bullied, I'm about to kick you out. Like, when everything's blowing up, Sally actually, like, spoke up. This is the first time. I mean, she herself seemed so low. And for her to actually articulate a boundary, it was just like, it was a small, like, subtle thing. But it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was, the, it was something shining through that we noticed. It was really, really cool. It's just an innocuous example. It's a very common thing that could happen any night of the week. Um, anyway, you know, Laura comes up, ends up coming back. Um, uh, apologizes no I mean I did not believe her apology it, she she justified she she was just like she just wanted to move on she was right. very I think she was embarrassed most likely um right and it was it was very it was a strange it was a strange dynamic 
Um, and anyway, we ended up closing the group and everybody goes to bed. And it was fine. I mean, that was it. It was not, it's not, that's a, like, that, that, can, that can happen anytime. It's just like these, these little things. And like, but like, I think in the context of like who these other two individuals were, like my, my job isn't necessarily to like force interventions. Um, it's better, I think, in, in my experience, to let things sort of organically play out. Like they're going to be who they are in these, in these, in these interactions. And they're going to kind of bring up each other's patterns on their own. And, and, and I need to hold like some boundaries around like the container that allows us to be a safe thing. And I'm not going to let a client bully another client. That's just not going to happen. You know, and it's cool when these little, these little tiny things can happen so that like somebody who's never said a single, like held a single boundary with this like leader in the group holds a boundary or these two actually articulate, Hey, we're not really okay with the way that you're being right now. And, and, and these, these, the other two, like Sally and, and Jennifer were like, I mean, like 13 or 14 years old, like they're younger than this other person. And they, and they looked up to her too, you know, and, 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 in all these, in all these ways and. So it's cool. It's cool. I mean, the, that was the beginning of a leadership dynamic shift that like played out over the next couple of weeks. And, um, and I think it was a good intervention. I mean, ultimately I talked to the therapist when, when she came out and, and kind of downloaded it all. And I was just like, I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think Laura was sincere, but she's apologizing and, and she still had a hard time, like not justifying and, and stuff. And I'm pretty sure she's never going to bring this up. Again. <laughs> and I was, I was right. Like it was like, she was in there. I think she was I don't know. That's a small example. It gets gnarly yeah. though. Like, I mean, like there's gnarly examples and like a kid tried to run on you several times and had kids you know, try to fight each other, and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, um, which is not my favorite at all to deal with. Um, and, and, and one of the things I actually really love about Blue Bears is we do a really good job of vetting our kids. We don't take everyone. Mm. Uh, and if violence is a part of their, 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 like if there have been, Violet, especially outside of the home, um, typically not a good fit for us. So, um, and there's just programs that can handle that. You know, we're just not one. seems like the the kind of the theme here is that personal growth and change is found in discomfort and adversity not yeah. in comfort and that uh, comfort i guess i don't know what, what the and is but <laughs> yeah, i mean but i think if you think about what comfort is there's like it's like there's it's just like you're good with whatever's happening right like if, if you're comfortable then like you then you're getting rewarded you know 
for whatever's going on. If, you, if it's Christmas and you're eating, you know, your Christmas dinner and you feel like full and, and, and happy because you're around your loved ones and you're comfortable, you know, that's, that's great. You know, I think discomfort, it drives some kind of change because you're, you're, you don't like it. It's not fun. It's not, you're not enjoying it. And so you're looking for like, how can I get back to this place of comfort or how can I get more comfortable? I think that that's just a natural thing that happens. So, um, I mean, I've seen a bunch of like infographics and stuff about this, but you know, there's like your comfort zone and then there's like your panic zone, which is like, if you're looking at like concentric circles, like your comfort zone is like, you know, the circle in the middle and your panic zone is way out here. And in between those two is what I've heard I, a friend of mine from, uh, 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 from the ranch would it's calls it the magic zone. That's where all the, the, the growth and change happens is in between your comfort zone and your panic zone. And ideally like, you know, in, in, in our program, we're not going to, we don't want to push people into panic. I mean, I, anytime you're talking to what you're dealing with people, like I don't think pushing them into panic is good. That's a dangerous place. That's, that's where, that's where people are, get really unpredictable and they can do things that are really outlandish and, and, and cause harm. Um, and, and, and it can be really dangerous. And so you want to avoid that and you can't let people stay in their comfort zone. There's no, there's no incentive to change. And so there's, you know, and, 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 and I don't, I don't want to make any bones about it. Like kids are here to change. Like that's, that's, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not sent to this program because they've got their stuff together. They're sent here because they are really, they, 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 they do not, they, they're the opposite of having their stuff together. They, they, their parents are worried to the point where they would send them away to a program like this. It's, 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 the, the behaviors are going to be pretty gnarly. Now I, we often get kids, you know, they, that they're, they're, you know, I always, I've been doing this so long. I think that I can kind of predict like the, the categories of, of things that'll, that kids will try when they first get here. A lot of kids are going to try begging and bleeding. And I really want to talk to my parents. This isn't what, there's no way that they're comfortable with this. There's no way that they would, you know, they're going to take me home. I really want to talk to them, blah, blah, blah. Or please, you know, or please, please, please let me talk to my parents. I, I think that they, they made a mistake, you know, just stuff like that. Or there's another, there's another thing where they're just going to try to be the coolest, you know, mother effort you've ever seen. And like, you know, I'm not faced by this, like, um, and then there's the category that where they're going to try to find the edges of the program. They're going to try to run. They're, they're going to try to like get kicked out somehow and they're trying to, and they're asking questions that will help them get information on how to get kicked out of this program or whatever. And we train our staff not to give away that information. I mean, I think that like, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's a big, that's a big, and that's mostly these are adolescents. I and mean, when you're talking about young adults, obviously they chose to come. Typically they're involved in the decision-making process. So it's a completely different set of things that's keeping them here. But, but, um, right. But like with the, yeah, so there's these predictable things that'll come up. And, and I think, I think when you, you've just seen all of the things that kids typically try, you know, I'm not saying I can't be surprised and I actually genuinely enjoy it when I see something that's new. Um, Cause it's just, you know, more to learn and more, more growth for myself. So, um, but, but, but it's, it, it, it gets to be like, you get really good at seeing, okay, this is what you're doing. I'm going to try some of these things to get you to stop doing that because it's not working for you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm in the weeds here. I don't remember the question that you asked. No, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're good, man. I, I was just asking if, if fundamentally adversity and, and discomfort is the, the driver of change. Oh, yeah, and, right. and, yeah. I think, yes. it, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. But it, but it also has to be like, like, 
I don't know. Like for me, like I look at like the, some of the biggest changes I've ever made in my life have been because I had mentors. So, so I, here's, here's the thing. I think you got to want it at some level. You can't, even if it's, even if it's subconscious that you recognize that you're not doing it well on your own. That's another thing that I think is really tough. Um, that, that I think, uh, that I think we do really well here at Blue Fire is, is that we're trying to weave authentic choice into their decision, like into the program, like, from day one, you know, um, do you know what behavior modification is? Have you ever heard of that term? Uh, I mean, I, I know what those words mean independently. I don't sure. know if I know sure. what it means. <laughs> it's like, it's, in psychology, it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, so it's like the behavior mod is, is, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bad word term in, in, in this industry because it's like, uh, was it Pazlov's dog or whatever? I, I might be right. mixing words together, but it's like, you know, it's like you, you feed a dog, you read a bell. That, you know, yeah. and so like if you do, if you ring a bell every time you feed a dog, then you can condition a response where like if you ring the bell, they'll salivate. Does that make sense? Right. So, so that's behavior modification. That's what that is. It's incentivizing a behavior change. That's so in, in, in the world of treatment, that's, that's, that's a way to get a behavior change. But what we know from research is that that doesn't work very well in the long term. As long as it's, it only works as long as the incentives there. So as long as once the incentive goes away, then, then you revert back to like your old ways of getting incentives. Now, there's some I, – I, this is going to be a little bit nuanced, and it's, it might be controversial, but I'm okay seeing it. Like, so, so if, if, if the, the opposite is just complete authentic choice, like the opposite of behavior modification, at least in the spectrum of, that I'm sort of trying right. to lay out, is, is going to be like auth, complete authentic choice for change, which I don't think is actually very good for the clientele that we're working with either because 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 you know for that to work like they gotta wreck they have to have a lot of self-awareness and a lot of their kids just, just frankly don't so they gotta know like you know it's like you you know come to terms like i want to change you know a lot of like you know i've been listening to your podcast and a lot of the things that you know, you've talked about have just been like you came to a decision that you wanted something different like you wanted to try some something i think I, is it that fair to say yeah, yeah. That's, that's like that other end of the spectrum. That's you having some self-awareness and trying and trying things on your own. But you're, you're like you said, you're 37. You're not a, you're not in high school. And, right. and, and, and I think a lot for, and, and there are high school kids that, that are, that have that too going on for them. But, but if you're talking about a kid that like has been trying to do that and like they're downward spiraling and crisis, you know, spinning, spinning crisis in the family and they're really, really struggling in their lives and making dangerous decisions you know, it's, 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 it's no wonder the parents want to send them away. So, or maybe not want to send them away, but want to fix the problem. And this is kind of why I think we are trying, you know, that this is one of the ways of doing that now. So if, if you talk about it between as a spectrum of like, we're forcing you or incentivizing you to change and like between and, and where you and you're authentically changing on your own, like all programs fall somewhere on that spectrum somewhere. Like they're not, you, you, there's no way in my opinion to, to completely do away with behavior modification, even though we want to really badly. Like it, it, it's because we know that if, if you really are heavy behavior mod, then, then the change you're, you're, you're inspiring isn't lasting. It's not long lasting change. What we want is long lasting change. But like in order for it to be not no behavior mod at all, then what you have to do is you have to have the kids have to choose to come here you know, and choose to stay, which right. we, which is not the case. So they didn't get here naturally. This isn't a natural consequence of their actions and they're not authentically choosing to stay. So there's some incentive for them to work the program. Does that make sense? That's what no, I'm it, saying. It's like really controversial. 
Um, but, but like how much choice you involve, you know, turns out I think matters a lot as far as the longevity of the change, like the, the sustainability of the changes that you're seeing. So, so with, so with clients that come in that, that, you know, that want to change and maybe they, 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 they even know that they're coming that, that actually is way more common here than in my last program. Like they know they're a lot of the kids come are coming with parents. Their parents told them they're coming. They brought them here. Um, that can be dangerous because sometimes, sometimes kids can, can escalate behaviors like the night before they're leaving, like run away or do a bunch of drugs or, or something that can also be dangerous because like maybe they get, they just jump out of the car, uh, when they're coming. That's, that's not, it's not unheard of. Um, all, or it can be dangerous because for other reasons, um, maybe they, they'll tell their friends where they're going and, and their friends will try to come get them. I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds wow. of, stuff. but, but I think that, that, um, but I think it's cool to see parents like bringing their kids to this program because it, it just takes a lot of guts to tell your kid like, Hey, like this is what we're choosing to do. Um, and it, you're kind of admitting like, you know, we don't, we don't know what to do. We need help. And, and this is what, this is what we've chosen to do. So anyway, it's, so, so we do get a, a fair amount of that. And, but, but I th- anyway, so, so here we, we try to wrap choice in. we like, for instance, we try to let them like choose the color of shirts, they wear, you know, if, if we can, mm. And if and if we're doing an adventure, like they don't have to participate in adventure. We, we ask them to try things, but like we, you know, it's not necessary. Necessarily, I mean, we're going to incentivize it. Ideally, they would do the things that because they're supposed to, and because it leads towards change, but like positive change. But 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 they won't always, and so that's when we have to bring in like you know enforced consequences, like things that like will hopefully help them that are logical and related to the behavior that they're showing to get them to to change their. Behavior. Like a good example of that is like, it, you know, me, me threatening to kick Laura out of the group. Like, Hey, I'm going to kick you out of this group right now. That's, that's me. Like I'm warning that, Hey, there's a consequence coming. Your behavior is not working. It's not within the realm of like acceptable right now, change your behavior or else here's this consequence I'm going to give you. You're not going to be in this group anymore. You know, she chose to select to, to, to leave the group in, in the way that she did because it maintained her power during that. It gets really complex as you like di- dissect all this stuff. Um, it, it yeah. Can, hmm. can get, but I've been living it for, you know, like 11 years or something. Right. Right. Yeah. That's wild. Huh. I, I guess the thing that it makes me think though, you know, you're talking about the, the incentives and, and again, I'm not trained or educated or anything. So please a grain of salt with everything I say to the listeners, but, um, what I've found in my own life, just in the last few years, even, um, is, is that it all comes to, like what you're talking about with like, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to provide the incentives for the behavior modification. But in the end, it, the same thing is true. It just comes from internal, right? Like, like I used to deal with, and, and I'm sure I still do to some extent, but I can get really anxious and kind of really worked up. Right. Well, then I started going on walks whenever I would feel that way. And I learned that if I go on a walk, not a run or anything <laughs> super crazy, but just a walk, it helps me get, and I don't, I don't know if medically this is right or anything, but it, it feels like the anxiety is like this extra energy. And if I can go do something like a walk or something physical, I can kind of get rid of some of that extra energy and the problem doesn't solve, it, it doesn't fix everything, but it at least helps me be calmer in approaching whatever the thing is, right? And so, I mean, it's to the point now where 
I mean, obviously if I'm in the middle of something I can't walk away from, then I can't walk away. But if I get stressed out and I don't have an immediate demand on my time right then, I just get up and go for a walk. Not for eight hours, but you know, go walk for 20 minutes. And, And so the point is, is that like, I have this Pavlovian response now to like, if I get anxious, I go on a walk, the anxiety goes away. Yeah, but it's still that healthy healthy behavior to me. I I think so. And I don't mean that it's negative. I just mean that it's the it it comes from that same incentive, though, where I guess what I'm trying to, to, to say is that like what you're talking about that's maybe controversial is this idea of a third party is providing that incentive. But I don't think that's actually that far from maybe what it looks like when it's healthier. Again, not as a trained person to say these things. But but because it, it it's the same idea, it just comes from within, right? Like the person on their own recognizes, oh, these things make me feel better. So I want to do those things because they make me feel better. Not because the other person told me that I should aspire to that, but I am aspiring to it because I see the reward of it. Does that make sense at all where I'm going with that? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, man. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that like... Well, but that, and that's why it sounds like it's like a lasting thing. It's become like a pattern for you to do this and it's helpful. And and if you look at like the number of things that you could be doing when you feel anxiety, like you could be smoking a cigarette, you could be like doing other drugs or drinking alcohol. I mean, there's so many adults that are doing that exact thing because they feel anxiety, you know, and it just turns out that those types of things like, don't last as long. They're not as, they're not as like healthy and effective and like fit like to other parts. of it. So there's a, there's a cool concept. Okay. Do you, do you know about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Uh-huh. Okay, cool. So, so like, yeah, it's like these, these like basic needs at the bottom. And then as you get towards the top, like as you establish, as you kind of meet the needs, you can move up the chain. There's another way, there's another idea, like a uh, concept. And I, I don't know how, like, I mean, this is like a, a book I read in, in the past. I don't hear people referencing it, so I don't know if there's any controversy over it. But it's called choice theory, and it's just basically the idea that like you have a lot of needs, not not just like the needs and natural hierarchy. There's like a ton of them, like ton of needs, and that will just as people will kind of migrate towards like fixing certain needs that like that that just matter more to us than other ones. And the, the guy like said some pretty outlandish things about how if we could meet all the needs with our behaviors and like we would have like no sickness and stuff. And I, I don't know how true that is. I will say that like, there's some value to like looking at like, okay, so if I'm meeting, if I'm like fit, like, okay, I want like, I don't know the need for, for security, let's say like security. So I, I might, I might be choosing to meet the need for security in, in a number of ways. Like for me, it might be family. So I get married and I have kids and, and that feels like security to me. And, I might work a job. I mean, this is actually sounding like what I partially would have done. <laughs> so, so, but, but, but I, uh, but I think that like, so I might need those needs in, in that way. Other people literally might meet the needs by like, they feel secure in a hospital setting. So they, so they like, so they do things that end up, that end up putting them in a hospital or uh, people might be conditioned to, to like, you know, meet needs with, which the thing is that like, the thing is like the ba- whatever, however, whatever your strategy is to meet the need that you're trying to meet, it has these ramifications for these other needs that you're not thinking about as much. And I think there's some, some, some merit to the idea that like whatever you're choosing to do to help meet the need that you're trying to meet, like think about how that impacts the other things in your life. And like, and if it's impacting other things negatively, like look, maybe look at that coping mechanism as, as something that you might want to shift into something else. Um, like that's like, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's just like what came up authentically when like, you know, 
yeah. what came when, when, when you were when you're talking it's like the walk is like sounds like it probably meets more than just like the need for like you to not have anxiety if, if you know it's like a healthy thing i mean there's a ton of like studies about how valuable walking is just it's also my name so i kind of have to live up a little oh bit. yeah you you do and it's the name <laughs> of your show you know so yeah absolutely yeah i, was, I thought i was gonna have to walk you know it's harder <laughs> right no. no 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 there's no treadmills in no, no, <laughs> no no yeah so i think um that might be an idea for the future it could be yeah i'll look into it <laughs> oh man but yeah no i think i think that's anyway that's kind of what i was thinking about um, yeah no and, 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 I, and i didn't even mean it as like a really to be self-referential as much as just that I, I i wanted to refer to my own experience because again i'm not trained in anything so i don't know what other people sure. are doing but um yeah but yeah it's not to be self-congratulatory as much as just to say and i i, I guess another thing i've thought about a lot is just there's a lot of conversation about like blame um, in, in our culture and society all the time. And oh, I think, yeah. blame, I think blame can matter, right? Cause blame might be like, mm-hmm. Hey, that thing hurts me. So I'm not going to go around that thing. Great. Like that's, that that's good to understand where it comes from, but blame and responsibility are separate. Right. And so some, mm-hmm. some other thing can be response or can be blamed, right. For, for whatever. But in the end, an individual is, is, candidly just responsible for um for correcting it for themselves and and that might not mean that you correct the thing that is to blame it doesn't mean you can change the external thing it probably means you're going to have to change something internally whether that be your behavior your thoughts the way you interact with the thing whatever it may be but i guess my point is just that like personal responsibility isn't really the right phrase because that's too, um, I don't know. It sounds too bootstrappy and that's not really what I'm trying to, to refer to as much as just that, like at the end of it, I don't know, like all of these things ultimately seem like they come from within. And again, I'm not some person who's like (laughs) transcended humanity or something and don't have problems all the time. I do constantly, but that's what I'm learning is like, the more I look at, okay, how can I shift again, interaction, behavior, thinking, whatever it is to change how that is in, impacting me is far more effective than constantly focusing on why the other thing is wrong or why the external thing isn't, isn't helping or does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I mean, I think like you're talking, I mean, accountability is comes yeah. with the word accountability. Ownership is another one. Yeah. Like just like whole, whole ownership. Yeah. Um, that, that comes up in a ton of, in a ton of stuff. Have you read the four agreements, Mm-mm. the book, the four agreements? Okay. I really liked it. I, I just read it, which is silly because it's like a, it's like a classic, especially in my industry. It just took that, took me this long to, to get to it. It came up, uh, some friends, a friend, some, some friends of mine brought it up. And then, uh, this guy that I, that's a kind of a similar sort of level in a different company that we're part of a peer support group, um, brought it up and then I heard it on a podcast like last night. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to read it. It's actually a pretty quick read. Um, and, uh, it's like maybe an hour and a half or something to read. Uh, but so it's, it, 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 like, there's a lot in that book. So I'm not going to just try to like relay the whole book, but the things I took away from it are, um, like this idea that like, you know, everything that you experience, like the whole world that, that you see and, and experience in life is like, you've made it. 
not not exactly like you created it and like you but he said he talks about it as like you it's your dream like whether you're asleep or awake like it's your dream like it's and 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 there's a lot of i think what really resonated with me is like you know like there's all these things that we've done like that we've sort of agreed to and like this 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 way of thinking the way the way that you're thinking is is based on like the way that you were conditioned to think and and brought up at you know as a as a as a, as a child you had nothing to do with it, but you've, you've accepted it. It's, it's who you are. It's, it, the way that you move through the world, the way that you interpret the world. And ultimately I even think the way that the things that you focus on and the stuff that you see, it's all you. It's, 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 I think that that's, there's an idea of like, that's just like whole ownership and accountability for like the things that you experience uh, that, that I think is, is, it has a lot of value to, to, to consider. And, and anyway, the, the four agreements end up, sort of like being the, the things that he mentions as that like, it's just like we, he basically goes on to say like, we're like the most, we punish ourselves like way more than anybody punishes us. And so like we, we can, we are, uh, so, so like he, he says inside of you, you've got a judge and you've got a victim and, and the judge is like, just, you know, it's, it's, it's actually unjust what the judge does to us because he, because you might make a mistake and you beat yourself up for it over and over and over and over again. Whereas like, if like justice is like, you would pay a price one time for a behavior, but like you just, you make yourself pay the price over and over and over and over again. And it's because of these like beliefs and this, and these agreements that you've made. So these, the four agreements that he, that he wants you to make will help you kind of undo a lot of the harmful agreements you've made in your life. That's what he kind of purports to say in the book. And the four agreements are like, they're really just good things to follow. They're, they're like, uh, be impeccable with your word, which is, you know, I basically, it's basically don't say anything that um, goes against you yourself. Don't say anything that goes against anybody else and, and don't lie, just be honest. And um, so that's the first agreement. He said like, you know, he purports to say like, if, if you, if you just do that one, like that's, that's all you really need to do. But the rest of them kind of help you deal with, you know, that, that one and help you do that one better. So the, the second one is, um, don't take anything personally. Hmm. The third one is, is don't, don't make assumptions. And the fourth one is uh, always do your best. And, and I think that like, it, it's a really good book. Like I said, I, I, I can, I can only recommend it. I mean, it, it, it may not be your cup of tea and, and I, you know, so I, if you read it and you get, you know, you get mad at me, I guess I'm just going to go okay with that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, 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 but this book suggestion, email me and I will email him terrible things for suggesting a book. <laughs> there you go. So, but no, it's, it's, it's simple. It breaks things down really quickly, really well. And, and I, and I just, it, it hit me in this time in my life where I'm, you know, contemplating some of these things. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's, it's really, it's really good. I, 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 I uh, yeah, the, I think the, the concept of personal accountability is, 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 is really, really I don't know. It's really valuable. And I, and I worry that it's being overlooked right now to, by a lot of the things that like I see people focusing on. I don't nope. know in, in the news or, 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 in, or just in life. And, and, and I think, I think it's hard. I mean, I, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a really tough thing to dance around to talk about. Uh, but, but there isn't, there is, I don't know, there, there will, I, it's possible that it's been going on forever, that there's just a lack of personal accountability. And it's also possible that right now there's more than there has been before. But I, but I do, I, this for me, when I, when I stop focusing on, this is what I'll say for myself, when I stop focusing on the things that other people are doing 
and I look at the things that I'm doing, the way I'm making decisions, the stuff that I care about and think about, I'm a lot happier. That's right. just, that's just my experience. So I can't, I can't speak for other people. I, I, from what I've seen, that seems to be, that seems to work for others as well. But like, yeah, like you said multiple times, like I've said multiple times, I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained in those things. I've got a lot of skills in, in, in like manipulating people. <laughs> but it is, it's true. I used to, I used to work with this guy, man, I'm sorry. That, this is, I'm going to go to the for a second, but I used to work with this guy, Lowell. Lowell, if you're out there, man, like, Hey, I still think about you until I about you. He did the dude is like almost he's got to be. So I worked with him like almost 10 years ago and, and he's got to be almost 70. He's like in his late sixties for sure. And he's still in the field from what I understand. Wow. Um, but, but he, uh, and he's a, he's, he's a, he's someone you can learn a lot from for sure. But he used to, he used to, you know, you all, he used to tell us like, you know, I am the master manipulator. Like I'm the puppet master. So, and, and the thing is like, once I think when you get really good at, at being a field instructor and like just kind of running the groups and especially if you understand your parameters, like what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do and, and, and what the goals are for each client, what the goal is for the group. And, and you start to just really get into the zone where you, you do, you play, you play like this manipulative role to, to make happen what you need to happen like if, if a client's being complacent you help them become not complacent you know if, if, a, if a client's you know struggling through like a crisis you can help calm them down from the crisis um, but if a client's being is, is, has things too easy you can you know work on making it so it's not so easy i mean like so so there's there's some there's there's a tremendous amount of honesty in like in in, in understanding that like i am the master manipulator is a very it's, a, it's sort of a concept that i think a lot of people might be <laughs> Might be, uh, might take, they take the wrong way. And, but I think it's like an honest way of looking at the, what the job was, you know, it, it's, it is, you're sort of manipulating people for people's benefit for their own benefit. You know, like I said, it starts with, they, they don't want to be here. Um, I don't, I don't think that that will go over super well. So I, I think that it's, it's, I want to make it really clear that that's not a, exactly right, but that's like a way of looking at a perception that you can take you can take on like what the job might be for a field instructor so to to create a container that will help a client to grow or a group of clients to grow in in a direction that that will help their lives that's that's the goal but but like like i like i kind of started off with at the very beginning of this podcast kind of bring it back like you 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 develop these skills that help you help you do that when you when you first start this job and 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 and, and you learn those skills and it's not always appropriate to use them like um, you have to, I think that's the, maybe the hard part of the job, maybe the, the stuff that takes that, that extra year or two to, to learn is, is how do I use them the right way? And, and how do I learn when to use them? I guess. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I, this is something that I, I, I wish I knew who created words because I, I have some that I'd like to have them push out. Um, not, I don't know what the words are, but I need some more words because for example, you know, two words that you've used this evening that get taken in a negative connotation, but they don't mean that it, one would be manipulation. I mean, if I'm going to use a pair of scissors, I'm manipulating the scissors with my hand, right? Like that's oh, sure. sure, sure. that word. So to your point, yes, manipulation has this connotation of like con artist is what people think you're talking about. Not you personally, yeah. but in general, yeah, sure. what they're thinking is being referred to. But the way that you're using it, you're, that's not what you're saying. You're not saying like, oh, I'm conning everyone and, and hustling everybody. To your point, you're using techniques that 
yes, you are intentionally trying to drive a certain behavior, but it's not, it's not for detriment. Right. And, and the other word that's used all the time like this is consequence, right? Like consequence mm-hmm. is all used as the thing that happens if it's going to be a bad outcome, but a, a good outcome is also a consequence. Oh, right? yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. So, it's ripples in a pond, man. So my, yeah. my point being that I don't think, I don't think you misspoke there or spoke out of turn there because I think that we just have too narrow of definition for those words that are actually much broader in definition. And I don't know. I, I appreciate no, no, that's helpful. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. And I, like you said, it's a, it's an honest take of it. And it's like, yeah, we could not use the word manipulation, but now, now we're back to what you talked about at the very beginning of the show where we're talking around things instead of just getting to the point, which then confuses everyone. <laughs> right. Which yeah. is, so I, I, I think it's the path. Right. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I think, um, I think something else that you said earlier that's, you know, and I said, I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I kind of took it in this accountability direction or whatever. And my point isn't that like, you know, Hey, if you're feeling bad, like it's on you or whatever, because I think something that you said earlier is, is actually the, the, probably the real truth of it is, yeah, it is. There is some personal responsibility. Like you said earlier, you kind of have to want it maybe as another way of, of, of positioning that. But then another mm-hmm. thing you said very quickly was, Hey man, anytime I've really made a lot of growth, like, yeah, maybe I've been in adverse circumstances or maybe things have been challenging. But the other thing that I've had is mentors. And that's what you guys are offering at Blue Fire as well. And, and you know, in my own journey where I've been trying to improve my life in the last few years, I mean, the, 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 the Kickstarter for me in that was when I got a coach, right? When I got a mentor, when I got someone that I could bounce stuff off of and I got someone who could help me yeah. navigate these things and negotiate these things. Um, so I, I just want to make sure I emphasize that you're absolutely right that the mentor is a huge component of, of this. And, and I think it's something that's overlooked a lot because in our culture in, in the United States, I'm talking about, there's this, there's this like, this like thump my chest bravado about everything that everyone wants to have. It's just not the way it goes. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe some people are successful with that, but I don't think so. Most people have other people around them that support where they're trying to go. And that's really how they get there. It's not, by yourself you know what i mean oh yeah i mean nobody gets anywhere by themselves but but i mean yeah we used to, I, I like the i like the uh sort of um the phrase like we're standing on the shoulders of giants mm-hmm. i i um you know yeah. like I, I i think it's important that like so it's it's actually really easy i think in the work that i do to develop a pretty big ego around like around like what i'm capable of in the field mm-hmm. or like what or what like blue fire is capable of. Um, and so I, I'm, I try to be careful. I, I don't think that that's a helpful thing to have. Um, and I think, and I think that's, you know, part of why I like really talking about the history a little bit, especially like when I train my staff or when I'm you know talking to anybody about this, it doesn't have a, a frame of reference of what we're talking about. I always start with like what, well, it just started as like some people who, you know, took kids out in the woods and it's changed. It's become this thing over time, but but it's actually it's it's pretty interesting, man. There's there's this lineage of programs that you can draw back. I was talking to somebody about this today. Like you can draw a direct like a line from like some of the earliest programs to almost all of the the wilderness therapy programs that are in existence today. And when you look at it that way, you see it. It's like this is that what we're, what 
I mean, it's just sort of a microcosm of like what culture is in general is that, you know, you like all the police systems that you were, you were brought up with, like they came from people, you know, and, 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 and those people, you know, developed them as children, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just in, in, in a similar way, like in, in, in wilderness therapy, like it's changed and grown and it's still growing and changing um, forever. And always it probably will as long as it's a thing. And um, it's, it's cool to see the lineage, but like the things that we're able to do and the change that we're able to help inspire and, and, and make in, in, in the clients and families that we serve is, is made possible by all of the things that companies and programs before us have done. And, and like all the science has gone into it and all these other things that like, when, when I, when I really start to think about, about like how many things go into like an intervention like in all of, you know, I don't know do, you, do you know who Thich Nhat Hanh is? You know, he talks about Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a nah, Vietnamese uh, like Buddhist monk. Uh, and he, and he's written just like a ton of books. He, 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 uh, he is, uh, he's, he's very old uh, now. I think he's still alive. Um, he's been, um, but he's just, he's written. So he's written all these books. When I was younger, I, I kind of divide, kind of developed an affinity for his writing and style and stuff. And he, he lives in, I mean, less I, less I knew, I haven't read his stuff for a long time, but less I knew he lived in, in Paris, I believe. Hmm. Um, he's sort of a, an exile from, from the Vietnamese, communist Vietnamese government. Hmm. Um, and anyway, he, land, he landed in, in Paris and, and wrote all these books. And he's, he's big, 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 you know, I don't know, really, really in meditation. Um, and, uh, obviously and and anyway he uh you know he, he talks about there's this one book i read at some point where he talks about like an orange you take an orange an orange seems really simple it's just like this round fruit it's, you know it's a certain color but you start thinking about all the things that made the orange you know the orange actually gets really really complex like i mean it's it's actually kind of fascinating i mean it's, you know the the tree that bore the fruit is just like a, in this line of like countless trees you know that came before it and the soil that that produced a tree is and the people that pick the fruit and all the different things that go into this orange like we so if you really i i don't know i right now man i mean it's i feel it's almost like an obligatory thing like yeah i i, I don't know if, i don't really want to go into the, the stuff that happened yesterday but like we're in this you know crazy thing happened like in in the capital yesterday and it's just this big big nutsy thing and there's a lot of thinking in the world right now. I mean, and I think there always has been. This is this is like it's part of human nature. But there's this this way of thinking that's I that's very isolationist, very like mm-hmm. you know kind of ego. I don't know if I don't even know, but I just I think I don't know how much I want to talk about it. But I, I think that there's with that I, I don't know for me the the like I I get fearful of of of, of isolationist thinking and like, but I'm, but I'm also prone to it in certain ways. And so I like, that's like my little answer for like my ego is to think about like how small I am in the life of like that orange. I'm just the end of the orange, man. Like I just ate it. You know what I mean? Like I had nothing to do with like everything that came before. Um, It's in a similar way. It's like, it just that's I don't know I just get a much much better feeling when I think about how complex and how interwoven and all of these all of these things are than than I than I do by thinking like I'm I deserve this I'm I'm so good at what I do um, I'd much rather I'd much rather be part of a community than just be some some 
some really badass dude, you know? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, you're probably way more of an expert on what I'm about to say than, than I am, certainly. But, I mean, humans are social creatures, right? So, so, and I know that you're talking about isolationism on, on maybe even more of a... I mean, it could be personal, but it could also be even more of a national scale. But I think that's a natural and normal thought because we're, we're social creatures. Like the reason loneliness hurts is because if you're not with your tribe, like you probably don't survive, right? Like yeah. you have to be around other people. So I think yeah, that's yeah. a very certainly human thing to think, right? Like to, to not want to be separate. Um, and I, I, obviously there's layers to that, <laughs> right? It could be sure, personal, absolutely. your town or your, you know, your state or your country or whatever, but um, but yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's valid. Uh, I think that, and I think that the, a lot of, um, anxiety and fear comes out of that isolation thinking not intentionally, right. But just because it, again, to what I just said, it is actually scary to be alone as a human, because that's not how we are. So if you're in a mode where you're creating that or propagating that, even not intentionally or not, you know, you didn't set out and write a manifesto that that's what you're going to do, it probably does lead to some fear and anxiety in a natural way because that's not not actually just who we are, you know? No, Again, totally, man. I think, I yeah, know. well, yeah, I know. I, well, it's funny you mentioned tribal because I, I use that a lot. Um, I see that actually just within organizations and stuff too. If you have like different departments, they'll kind of learn to speak their own languages and then any, you know, like in, in anthropology, you talk a lot of, we talk a lot about resource resources. I mean, we talk about a lot about culture, but like any to anytime you have like two cultures or like two tribes or whatever, like competing for resources, like you're going to have conflict. Like that's just, just human nature. We're going right. to have conflicts, especially now. And now you dial down like their ability to talk to each other and, and, and to deal with conflict peacefully. Like if you take away people's ability to 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 speak and to, and not just speak to each other, it's not just English, man. Like remember, like words are the tip of the spear. It's like a very very small part of it. Everything else, all the cultural stuff, all the mannerisms, right, right. now, in this, in, in it seems to me right now in in, in the United States and, and really around the world, you know, a lot of like probably more people than ever speak English, but the way they speak English to each other, the, their ideals, the things that they care about, they aren't the same. And so, and so we have tribes, different tribes of people that are competing oh, yeah. for resources and there's conflict. There's conflict between us all. So I, I, I see it, I see it in organizational space, space. I see it in individuals and in groups, you know, in the, in the work that I do. And, and that's why I think I say it like it's part of our nature. I, th I think, it, I think the, the tribalism or, or just, I, I think, it, I think we are prone to worrying about resources and our, and, and whether that's like, and, and our needs and being able to meet our needs. So whether that need is food and shelter, or if it's our need to be heard and valued and need to be part of a community, you know, I, I just, yeah, we are, we are prone to protect those needs. And, and I don't know, like, and, and that's why, that's why, I, you know, I think of the orange and I think of like, you know, I, to me, it, it does seem like an illusion that we're that we're all separate, and and it's like an illusion that I probably made up in my in my mind, and I you know that I've participated in for a really long time. You know, I am um, I don't I don't know. I'm getting kind of esoteric and philosophical here, and I, I don't know how that's going, but um, but that's there's been a lot of what's on my mind lately, I guess, uh, with sort of the current thing, state of things, and uh, also I've had a lot of time to contemplate.
I had a baby. We had a baby in, in November. I took a month off work. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We, uh, and, and it was nice to, it was nice to take a month off, but I, I took a lot of walks Walker. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I did. I, I, I was, I was, I've been working out a lot lately and I, I was trying not to like drive all the way to the gym and stuff. I mean, COVID and everything and having a baby at home. Like, uh, yeah. I'm one of the lucky, lucky few that has a, a very, very non-populated gym that like didn't shut down for the entirety of it. So I've, I've, I've been doing that, but I was trying to limit my access to the gym and, so I was going on walks and stuff and, and I actually, yeah, had a lot of time to think and it was, uh, you know, and I was home a lot with, the, with my baby and, and, uh, and my, and my wife and my other son. And so, so it's been, uh, there's been a lot of stuff on my mind lately. Um, yeah. And I haven't, I haven't gotten to the end of it. I, I sort of started pulling on a thread that I haven't, I haven't completely found the end of yet. So still, still working my way through the sweater. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how related this is to to what we're talking about, but I mean, you know, talking about tribalism, and that's obviously a term that gets thrown around a lot in in conversation about American culture at this point. Um, sure, and it's you know, it's the certainly can be pointed to uh, as at least a factor in a lot of the division that we see, and it's like, well, how do you do away with tribalism? And and, and whenever I think about it where I come to is exactly actually what you just said is like, okay, well you just had, you just had a new baby, right? Like, well, guess, guess who you're going to protect. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyone else, right? Like the family unit is yep. like the f- most basic level of tribe. So it's like, yeah. I don't know how yeah. we ever actually get away from it because it's ingrained into how we replicate. <laughs> I know. Valuable point, man. I, I think that's yeah. that's that's super that's super true, man. And, and and yeah, and I, dude, it's 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 hard. I guess like that, you know, it's nice. It's nice that you said that because it gives me empathy for for folks that that uh, like I get it. I get it. I get it. How I get I get it. you got you know the feeling that you have to protect, you know, what's yours or what you feel right. like is yours. I, I do. I do. I do understand that. And to to a to a very like at a biological level. Right. Yeah. yeah, I don't have kids, so I don't I don't get it in that same way. But I, I I would have to imagine, you know, as a thinking person, I can see where that would be at least, even though I can't sure. understand it truly. I bet you, I bet you do. I bet you do. I mean, it's just like yeah. it's just like an, it's just an extension of other things that you grew up caring about. It sure. just it just becomes like it's it's for me like a little bit of that about about this like the transformation of becoming a father is just like it, it's a big transformation because like. I mean, at least for me, I think people could do it and it could be not a big transformation. Like, especially if you're a father and not a mother, like it's just a different, there's a different dichotomy there. Um, but like, but like uh, for me, all of a sudden, like just what I'm doing day to day changes, just change so much and what I can do. And like, and just, you know, just having, they just, babies need a lot. They just need so much. They need everything provided for them or, you know, they get sick or they get, you know, or they get, or they don't develop properly or whatever. And so this is, it's just like all hands on deck for the baby. If, if that's, you know, and, and, uh, and to try to, and, and they kind of dictate that they become the butter of the boss right away, you know, cause they have this, this they'll cry and scream, you know, they'll, they'll demand things. So, so it's like, they, they don't, they don't have a lot of patience. Man, it turns out, um, at least mine don't, I don't know about your guys' kids out there, right. but, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's so the transformation, I don't know. There's there, for me, there was a transformation. Like it went, I, I, it, and I don't, and I don't think it was anything but like, 
just that because of like the necessity, like you just, you have to change the way that you're thinking. I had to change the way I was thinking. Um, and it, and it's a, it's been a fascinating sort of uh, endeavor. I, I love it. Like personally, it's, it's just really cool to watch these like little people grow up and, and like learn and, and you, you know, see them like sort of like latch on to concepts and, and, and you know, and, and incorporate them and learn skills and stuff. It's, it's, it's cool to be a part of that process. And, and uh, the love that you get out of it is, is also pretty cool. I'm sure it's going to get hard. I mean, it's hard. It's already been hard. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of hard that I can't predict, but, um, but yeah, it, but you, uh, you were probably uniquely equipped to face that more than maybe anyone, <laughs> maybe not more than anyone, but more than that's the mistake I made when I was at second nature, man. Like, you know, I was like, Oh man, these therapists must be so good. And then you find out the therapist had their kid in. Yeah, you know, wilderness too. And then you realize right. that like there's a lot as yeah, but no, I, I hope I hope I am, but I, I, I fear I'm not. And and uh, I and I and I can tell you this for sure. I look at my kid way different than I look at anybody else's kid. Just as just as what it is. Like I don't see Right. It's it's just a way different thing, man. And that's what I mean by that tribe kid, right? Like and obviously it's different because it's your child, but you expand that out a bit and, and, and that's, I mean, that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the way it works. And I don't know how you ever, I don't know how you would ever subvert that because you don't want to, because the family is really great and everyone, me included supports that. And is like, yeah, that's awesome that you love your kid. Like, I'm really glad that you, yeah. that you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, no, it's good. No, it's not a guarantee, man. It's not. It's right. Like, I wish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, dude. But then, then how do you walk away from, um, again, from that concept of like, well, I care about this section of people more than this section of people. And it's like, well, uh, you can't, but we kind of have to figure out a way to not <laughs> have that be the thing that drives us all the time. Right. And that's the other thing that, you know, it's so crazy. There's this guy I had on my show. He was probably like my third or fourth guest ever. His name is Dylan Barr. Um, and I, he's, he came back on again about a year later, he wrote a book and, and he came on as, as an author and Anyway, when the first time he came on, uh, he wasn't coming on to promote anything. He just came on to kind of talk. And again, I hadn't had very many guests, so I don't know, just like it was fun. And and I asked him, he asked me, he was like, well, do you think we could talk about um, this? I, th like a thing that, that I think about a lot that I don't know if other people think about a lot. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And so what he brought up was the idea of of balance. And that's like when he said that, I was like, oh, all right, well, that's, I mean, not that it's dumb or something, but like, yeah, I get it. Yin yang. Like, okay, we get it. Everything, you know, man, man, was I, of course, just like always, as you've known for a long time, man, was I wrong. Um, you're too hard on yourself, man. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's so oh, much significance though in that statement. Like, after I had that conversation with him about balance and about how there, and it's not that there's, it, it, when I say balance, it's not that there's literally a scale that is even at all times and that there's some perfect position where now it doesn't have to be adjusted ever again. It, it's constantly shifting, but it's, it's constantly trying to find a way to hold things in balance. And, and so, you know, in the conversation we're having, yeah, it's super important to be, dedicated to your family and, and care about them the most. Like in, if we all do that, then there are better families and probably better societies. However, that can't be the only way we think. And so then as we expand outside of the family, 
now a different way of thinking has to be inserted. And and even though those two things are contradictory, man, longtime listeners are going to be like, God, this again. Um, <laughs> things are contradictory, like holding them at the same time, like that is the real, that's the real work. Like, um, you know, learning how to be assertive, but not be cruel. Learning, you know, or learning how to be, kind but not be a, a, a walking mat that people just walk all over yeah. right not be a speed bump mm-hmm. like it's and i just i find it over and over and over again how how constantly it is that the hard work in life is 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 holding things that don't seem that seem like they should be mutually exclusive and holding them together at once yeah um, uh, and a I guy like I, I, I had another uh, author he told me this quote he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that I, I was explaining the same thing to him. That's why I said I talk about this all the time. Um, <laughs> but I was explaining it to him and he was like, oh, yeah, that's like this quote from some guy. I don't remember uh, who he said, but he was like, it, it contradiction uh, is the lever of transcendence. And I was just like, yeah, oh, man, like it. I'm not a tattoo guy, but if I was a tattoo guy, I might get that tattoo or something like that's cool. <laughs> like, I really like that because that's what, what we're talking about. You know, it's just I don't know. I, I guess my point is just there's not one answer things there's usually nuance which you've brought up a lot right and there's usually multiple facets to an answer and sometimes those facets might seem like they're competing but really there's there's space for both you know yeah there definitely is man and actually like i don't know if i I wonder if mutual exclusivity is like a you know like a man-made concept like i i don't know i mean like obviously obviously like everything in in reality exists so Maybe when we get really freaking big and, and esoteric, like, like there's no real such thing as mutual exclusivity. Like, if, you know, even it, it's about context and and, and 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 you know, for humans, I think intent. You know, it's funny you said assertive, but not uh, what do you say? Assertive, but not like overbearing or sort of but not like a jerk or something i don't remember yeah i don't know i don't know what i said <laughs> so, so i ideally like you know for me, for me like uh one of the things i i always talk about is like a communication is being on a spectrum between just like kind of all well there's a concept in that, that i train on there's a de-escalation training that everybody has to go through to learn how to like recognize escalation but also recognize baseline how to like influence behavior to calm people down it's a pretty unique skill set. It's pretty cool. You can, and it's all with rapport, like use rapport all to, to do this. But, um, but like there's this concept as, as a, in, in a lot of these trains to say like all behaviors, communication, that, that tends to be like news for people. Like everything you do communicates something to other, other people. Right. Um, and then the other, the other part of it is that the, the meaning of, of your communication is, is derived by the response that the other person gives you. So like, so, so what you communicate is 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 determined in in the response that you get from from your communication so so for instance like if you've ever been in a semantic argument with somebody or like ever been in a, like an argument with a loved one and you're like i didn't say that you know it's not those <laughs> the words i used right but like they like and and they're and they're and they're like you know, and they're like but here's the thing like you're, you're wrong like you said it you communicated it you may not have said the words right but you said mm-hmm you communicated that thing they were responding to you so that's that so we we accept that as baseline truth like like it, it, it's just like if when, when i'm working with a client like whatever their response to my communication is that's what i communicate like that just is what it is so 
it turns out that that's actually really helpful because now I can just pay attention to how they respond to me and I can, I can tailor my communication to meet, to meet the response that I want rather than, rather than like try to argue with them and cause a conflict and a split in our relationship. I can actually keep the relationship really solid and just pay attention. So like, if I, if I do something to offend them and they say, Hey, I'm offended. Like I can, I can respond and say like, man, I'm, I'm really grateful that you told me you're offended. Um, that makes sense. I didn't intend to do that. Um, and, and I, or, or I can just say like, okay, that makes sense that you're offended. I, I'm okay with that. I, I, I intend to do offend you or whatever. Like right. I can, I can, I can choose, I can choose a different way. I don't have to go into an argument with that person. Um, that's not going to, that's not going to actually get me what I want in the, in the situation. So all behavior is communication and the meaning of your communication is the response you get. So I've, I've been trained on this, like, by a bunch of different people. There's a bunch of different ways of putting it. That's the way I like to put it. So, and I am pretty sure it's proprietary, but I, I don't care. So, so anyway, <laughs> the, um, the, the, um, and, and, and in talking about this stuff, I talk about like communication as being kind of on a spectrum too. So you have on, on, on one end, you have passive communication, which, which is basically like, um, so in passive communication, you, you give up, um, so you're giving up the power and there's like the responsibility for like the decision to somebody else and, and you're disrespecting yourself. So that's sort of the, the, the nature of, of passive. So you could, that's kind of the tends to look like this, like, you know, like that, that'd be cool if you would invite me to your party, I, I guess, like it'd, it'd be really cool if you'd invite me to your party or whatever. Like that's a passive way of saying, Hey, I'd really like to come to your party. That would be an assertive way of doing it, but like, right. or will you invite me to your party? You know? So, um, on the other end of the spectrum, you have aggressive communication, you know, threatening them. You better invite me to your party or, or, or even any kind of like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of a right. thing. So that's, right. so that's, so you can, I kind of understand now, now there's a question I always ask my, my instructors, like when I'm, when I'm talking about this, like, where do you think passive aggressive communication lives on that spectrum? Hmm. I, I would assume in the center. It's it's not center. It's, it's it's an aggressive form of communication. So so okay. so there's a couple of things. So passive 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 communication is it, you disrespect yourself and you um, you're giving up the power and the responsibility or whatever. It's also indirect. Tends to be indirect, right? So you're not telling them what you want or articulating in a direct way the thing that you're trying to get or whatever or the thing that you want to say. So um, aggressive communication is sort of the opposite of all of those things. So it's it's direct. Tends to be pretty direct. It's also, um, it's also a, uh, it's also, you are taking responsibility for getting the thing you want and you're disrespecting the other person. Does that make sense? So it's the opposite of those three things. So if you break down passive aggressive communication, the only thing it's the opposite of a pa- a pass, it's, it's passive in that it's indirect, but it's disrespectful to the other person. Right. And yeah. you know, it's like sarcasm, for instance, that's a passive aggressive communication and you are taking power and control. Leave it, you're just doing it in an indirect way. So it's way, it's way more like an aggressive thing than in the middle. The middle, the middle is assertive. So in the middle is you're respecting everyone. You're sharing responsibility for whatever's going to happen. And, you're be, and, and then you're being direct, usually. There's not really an, an indirect way. I don't know. You could probably come up with one. Communications on <laughs> spectrum. But, but yeah, so that's, that's what assertive means. So, so if, if, you, if you're, if you're if the, way, the way I like to talk about so I, if you're actually truly being assertive, um, then you, then by definition, you're not being a jerk at all. Like you're, you're, mm. you're sharing responsibility, you're sharing, you're sharing, you're, you're respecting everyone in the process. So an assertive way to get your needs met is to literally ask 
somebody, you know, Hey, will you, Hey, can you, can I, you know, or right. just to articulate like the way I tend to do it. Cause I'm relatively loquacious and I like to just like talk over people. Um, I, 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 I will, I, I, what I'll do is I'll just say the thing I want, you know, I, I would like to, okay. That's, that's a little bit more probably direct and maybe, maybe a little bit more aggressive, right. Than, than perfect assertiveness where I can request, but, but it also is not, it's not necessarily aggressive. Like everything's on a spectrum. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Oh, it totally does. It, it totally does. And, and that's that it, there's uh and it, it speaks to the nuance of things, right? I think that's another thing. You know, we were talking about the tribalism stuff earlier in our, in our culture and, and all that. And I think that's another thing that's going on all the time now is that people want to really, really oversimplify things to, to everything's just binary, you know, one or the other. And it's like, man, there's just so much nuance to this stuff. I mean, just like you were talking about earlier with the, the clients you have, you don't have one plan that's like, hey, every kid that comes in here, this is what they do. This is how it looks. This is where they go afterwards. Like it's all tailored to the specific circumstance because nuance matters. And and yeah. and again, there are also times where nuance doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Like when it comes to being violent with a person, well, I don't even know. Maybe there there's, there's appropriate nuance too potentially. But my point just being even that exists on a spectrum. But um, I just really appreciate, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to you bringing the nuance of that up because it, it matters. And yeah, that's interesting. I... I I really enjoy communication and in talking with you, I don't mean this in a self uh, deprecating way, Um, but I I mean, just listening to what you've been talking about. I mean, I've written down some of the books you've referenced and and I've definitely got some reading to do because um, yeah, I think communication is fascinating and I think it's, I mean, maybe it's the most important thing that there is. I, I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, maybe starting a fire is more important, but maybe second <laughs> is communication, right? I don't know. Communication is important, man. Yeah. 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 I mean, like the, the better, the better you are at communicating and, 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 and interpreting like the responses that you get to your communication um, and altering your own communication, the more power you have in social situations. So, so, I mean, just in general, like as far as that goes, like that's, that's, I think, a, I think I could say that relatively fairly like that's that seems pretty accurate to me so yeah communication is super important um and but the other, the other part of that is there's there's people that that are really really good at communication and they use it to 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 take you know to take from others or to to get their way more and i mean i, I so so just because you can communicate doesn't mean that you're like necessarily a good person <laughs> you know like you can you can like like earlier it's like i like i can manipulate certain things or I can like, I can, I can read communication. I can alter because I have these skill sets and I can read people in a way that I don't, I just don't think most people are trained to. I, I'm not saying like right. I, I, the type of person I am is I, I actually think everybody should, should know these things or like try to learn these things. I think they're fascinating things and mostly just cause I, I really enjoyed them and, and, and stuff, but like, yeah, like context is everything. So, so, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, how, how you use these skills is, is, is the most, most important thing. I, I, at least, at least, at least, um, at least for, it's a, one of the most important things. It's the most important for, uh, for, for how, I guess, like how good of a person you are. I don't know if that's like a thing. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I've kind of lost. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so, you know, talking about the, you know, the, um, back to the manipulation conversation a little bit in, in the, the miss, the, 
the way that that word can be misinterpreted. I mean, a book I read here recently, well, it was an audio book, so I listened, but um, is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who's a guy that was a FBI negotiator. Very popular book. Um, anyway, he's an FBI negotiator, and now he wrote a book on how to negotiate. Well, he's he, the reason it made me think of it is because he talks in a lot of the same ways that you do, where it, it's not that you're like a superhero or something or, or like an X-Man or, or something with mutant powers. It's just literally that you've been trained and not only been trained and like learned it, but then also practiced it and put it to work and seen and di- gone through iterations of it. Right. So that you, you, you've learned how to do it. Um, but it's not, it's not an inherently negative thing or anything. It, it, it certainly can be used for good. I mean, an FBI negotiator, I, I think largely is probably doing good when he's negotiating, right. He's negotiating for hostage yeah. freedom and that stuff. Right. So I'm yeah, glad absolutely. he can but then he tells a story when he goes to buy a new truck and and haggles with the dealer and yeah. hustles the dealer. It's not like it's not like he steals the truck. You know what I mean? He still pays, and it's not like the dealer's giving him a price that he can't actually afford, right? The dealer's not right. closing shop the next day. So, yeah. So you know, I don't know. I it, it it's back to it's back to nuance. It's back to things aren't mutually exclusive, like you said. I mean, I mean, here's a really a really basic example of, of what does mutual exclusivity mean? Well, life and death are pretty mutually exclusive on the surface because uh, <laughs> they're the opposite, but they can't exist without one another. Cause what could die if it right, wasn't yeah. alive and what could be alive if it couldn't yeah. end, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You know that flaming lift song? Uh, Do you realize, I don't know if you know that song. I, I don't. I like going back in time. I haven't, and listen to them for a long time. Actually, actually, but it's like, uh, but yeah, it's like happiness makes you cry. Uh, but is is a lyric in that song? Like, do you realize mm. that happiness makes you cry? But like, that's a that's a thing. It's like, I mean, there's a lot of ways to take that. But like, happiness and sadness too. You know, I mean, I uh, what have you seen that movie Inside Out? By the way, I don't think so. It sounds it's familiar beautiful. though. It's, it's a, I think it's Pixar's. It's Disney. It's okay. like Pixar or whatever. It's, I think it's Pixar. It's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's like takes place in this girl's brain and it's her emotions are kind of driving the controls of the little girl and she's growing up and there's like this crisis in her life. And it's just, a I don't know, it's just a really beautiful movie. And, um, and happiness is a, is a, is a person, like a, is a character in, in the movie and sadness is a character and they just don't understand each other like throughout the movie. Um, and they're inside this little girl's brain. And they're uh, and they're and and happiness kind of rules the day because when happiness is going on, like when she's happy, like everybody, all the other emotions are kind of like riding the wave, except her sadness. He's just always really sad, and happiness kind of tries to put her in a corner. So basically, there's this there's a realization moment with happiness where she realizes that some like she she's always been focused on these like like the memories that she had. Like it's, it's a lot about memory and stuff. Because she's always focused on like happy memories, and when sadness touches the memory becomes a sad memory forever but then her interpretation but anyway it's it i I think i'm giving away way too much about the movie so i i really i hate giving away spoilers but i i think it's a cool concept but there's this idea about so sadness brings people to you i think you said that earlier like when i'm if i'm expressing sadness and like tears are rolling like i there's like my face contorts there's this really interesting thing that about about emotion is that like you, you it's it's a physiological chemical response your body 
your face contorts to show the emotion before you have a cognitive experience that you're having an emotional reaction. So wow. you can't, you cannot prevent emotional expression. You can't, it's not possible. So people would love to do it. You can suppress it. You can identify it really quickly and you can like suppress the reaction. So, so happiness, you know, is a smile and, and then you have like the, the real, like the real crinkles on the side of your, your eyes will, will, will show through when it's an authentic smile. You actually can't wrinkle those um, consciously nearly as much as you can uh, when you're actually authentically happy. So if you're trying to determine whether somebody's authentically happy or if they're just putting on a show, you look at the difference between like how, how much they wrinkle their eyes. I'm in, I'm, I'm probably a little astray from the point here, but, but um, so sadness is like your, the insides of your, of your eyelids kind of come up, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, your, your face will sort of drop. And then a lot of times people will like cover like cover, do like a self soothing touch mouth will, will open a little bit. So that'll all happen. But that's a signal, dude. It's like a communication to others. Like I'm struggling. And then what happens is the people will come to you. Like they literally will come over to you. Like it, 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 it gets a behavioral response, especially if they care about you. But even if not, man, like if you ever see somebody crying, like that you don't know, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know about you, but like I'll have like the inclination of like, I should talk to that person. You know, like I should go to that person, you know? And so, so anyway, so there's this realization in the movie at some point where happiness realizes that what, what helped her, what helped this memory be a happy memory was the fact that sadness brought in people to her, to this person. She was sad. Her parents came in and helped her. And now, and then it be, she ended up having this authentic emotional shift and became happy. So this is, um, I don't remember why I brought that up. Anyway, it's just like a beautiful, beautiful movie. And I think that that's a, that's another thing about like, I don't know, dude, we're, we're, we're so much more than we talk about that I think is like commonly talked about in like, in like pop culture stuff. Like we're just, we're just infinitely complex, you know, beings and, and, and the emo- just, just in emotion in general, there's like our, our emotions are these just extremely useful tools for social interaction. And, and, and a lot of what we talk about in, 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 in wilderness therapy, but just also like with my instructors when I'm training like on de-escalation and stuff is, I'll, I'll talk about how like, you know, emotions are, they, they're really useful in certain situations. Like there's all these physiological responses, like a fear emotion, like your, 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 your gross motor skills peak and your fine motor skills, like, but like literally you, your body like pulls blood to its, to its core. So, I mean, it's a part of an emotional response, but, and, and what we see is like fear in the face. Um, and, and, and your body's like, preparing for like trauma right but if you have fear a fear response like that kind of a fear response to like a like a test that's coming up tomorrow or like seeing somebody on the subway look at you the wrong way like that's not an appropriate response that would be an appropriate response if a 250 pound cat walked through the door and is like looking at you like you look like supper, then that's a response that can actually potentially save your life. Like that's, that's the thing is like our emotional responses aren't always right for the situations they occur in. They're just these like, like big clunky tools that, that, that your body throws at these situations that are super complex. Um, and it ends up causing problems for you. Like, so, so anxiety disorders, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a fear, that's a shade of fear. So it's like, if you're just experiencing fear all the time, um, that's really bad for your body. It's really bad for like relationships. And it's really bad for your ability to like to maneuver through life. So, so like that's that's something that we will we'll encounter here a lot. And so the goal is to try to help them 
change their response towards the stimuli to, to, a, to a different emotion or at least a different response that it's less problematic for them. Um, yeah. So I, what I'm about to say doesn't, doesn't directly correlate to the, the psychological side of it as much, but it, sure. it, it made me think of it just because of when you're talking about like how infinitely complex we are and then talking about the, the physical reaction that our bodies have, like to fear, for example, and, and this, you know, with the blood centering or whatever, and you can't control that, right? It just, it happens in an automatic mm-hmm. kind of way. Well, um, again, not related to, <laughs> to, to therapy at all, but the virtual reality headsets, like for video games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Last, right? So I was listening to an interview with this guy, Gabe Newell, who's the, the guy who owns Valve, which is the video mm-hmm. game company they make their own headset. Well, he was talking about how, you know, we call it virtual reality, but really it's just, it's just visual and audio. I mean, yeah, you see cool things and you hear things, but you don't feel a wind. You don't smell the area you're in. You don't taste the air or something because they don't, the virtual, the headset doesn't simulate those things. It's just a screen. Right. And, and the phones. So what they've been, what they've been playing with though, is trying to figure out how do we, hack into a body to, to make someone experience cold or to make someone experience the sensation of, of something that's beyond just seeing and hearing. And, but what the problems, some of the challenges they're running into is like when a person experiences cold, it actually triggers their immune system. Right. Because so there's all these responses that the the video game company doesn't want your body to have (laughs) video game. Right. I cannot imagine that would go well. Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, they can do it, but there's some, some ramifications from it that, that aren't good. So it, it, you know, they're a little farther away than maybe they'd originally thought uh, from that. Anyway, not really trying to, they're, 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 they're trying to do it without causing like the, the detrimental effects. They just want to give you this experience. Right. That's what right. you're saying. That seems right, right. like pretty far fetched, but I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Like I, 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 that's crazy to think that like you maybe like if you could have an experience of cold, but not have any kind of like physiological response. I mean, that's like separating. I don't know. Is that even possible? That's I, cool. It's kind right of cool. But, yeah. Not right now, cool. but, um, but maybe <laughs> that's why I, I say I that's that's cool. I would really like to get one of those headsets. I don't think I have the time for it, <laughs> right. but they look really cool. I've, I've been fascinated by that stuff forever, but, but it's just, uh, I just haven't, yeah, I haven't prioritized it. I own an Xbox, yeah. but I don't play it because my kid's in a busy job. And... Right. Right. <laughs> I love, I do like games. My friend Brett that I co-host my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks With, he actually just got one of those VR headsets and, and I, I went over and tried it out over the holidays. And yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I mean, it again, it's not, it's not reality because there's not all of the senses aren't engaged, but um, it, it was, it was the most impressed I've been by video game technology in a long time. And I'm an avid gamer. I mean, I love video games, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it blew me away. It blew me away. Um, I like beautiful big video games. I tend to, I tend to like the, I don't know. I I can't remember. It was like a comment on Reddit some long time ago about like, like people who play like I play. <laughs> Cause what I do, I just want to be like the most powerful. I did. I play RPGs and I want to be just like the most powerful I can be. I play on PC hmm. and I don't care. Like it's the right. whole goal is like, I want, I just want to be like the hero. At, like just, if I'm going to play, 
just want it to be relatively easy and like it's a story. That's that's not a great. I know that that's like not what most a lot of people do, but that's like how I play games. Yeah, um, but that's the yeah. you know that that's why and I, I don't mean to ta- to just now spend time uh, <laughs> okay. on my own other podcast, but but that's why I do the other podcast. I mean, the the premise of that show of the gaming podcast is why gaming matters because just like a person could watch TV shows, read a book, watch a movie, watch a, listen to a, a song, watch a musical, a play, whatever it is, people interpret those things in a wide variety of ways and, and derive pleasure from them in a wide variety of ways. And video games oh, for are sure. And, and games I think often are kind of cast as like either, either toys or, or like now with the rise of esports, like this competitive thing. And it's like, they can be that, but they can be all sorts of things. So if if running around and seeing a cool world and, and being the hero and being powerful is the part of it that's enjoyable, then that's awesome. Like there's no there's nothing wrong with yeah. that at all. That's the wrong way to play. Like, oh yeah, I don't I don't know. I think it's good. No, I, I think they're art. They're beautiful. I mean, they're art, right? Just like another kind of yes, art. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I'm into them. I don't have the time for them like, that I would like to, but but I also feel like probably by the time like my career is over or whatever, if, if I get to that point in my life, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll have plenty of time, and 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 they'll be so good most likely by then that I won't oh, yeah. have any choice but to like yeah to play some really cool really cool games. It'll, it'll be Matrix, but, man. Just, we'll just jack in. Yeah, if it, could, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> Sounds like Gabe Newell's working on it right now. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, you have been incredibly generous with your time this evening, man. You've you've given me yeah, uh, thanks, three. Man. Yeah, it's been. I've really enjoyed this. I hope I hope it ends up coming out well for you, dude. Um, I oh, hope, yeah. It's yeah, it will. It's been it's been sweet. It's been sweet to connect with you, man. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to like future conversations for sure. I do too, and I don't mean to be overly, um, you know, mushy or, or anything like that. But I, I really, I really can't say thank you enough for reaching out to me. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned at the very top of the show, for any for anyone who's still here at hour three or whatever we're at now, <laughs> um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, we knew each other in middle school, and then and then I mean, there wasn't like we had any, there was no animosity or anything, but we just didn't know each other after that because we didn't go to the same schools anymore. And, um, right. and you reached out. And, and yeah, man, like it, it was awesome reconnecting with you. And uh, I mean, this is, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying it just cause you're here right now, but like, this is one of my favorite episodes that I've ever recorded right here. Like this was awesome. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's awesome, man. Very generous. Well, I hope, I hope, yeah. Yeah. I hope other people get something positive out of it. So I've really enjoyed yeah. it. It's, yeah. For, for my end, I've never done anything like this. So yeah, man. It's cool. Well, cool. Well, cool. Well, uh, if folks want to check out, the, the thing we were talking about throughout the episode, which is the work that you're doing, bluefirewilderness.com is the website. I assume that's where people can go if they want to find more information about maybe seeking treatment yeah, there absolutely. for they know or, or careers or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then, and then Outdoor Behavioral Health Council, uh, just Google that, uh, is, is, the, is the council of, of, of programs like ours that the collaborative group of people that get together and, and kind of share like information about best practices and, and and try to help each other do, do, do good and do well in this, in this work. So those are the two points towards. Yeah. 
Well, I'll make sure and have those in the show notes so people can just click right on the link and, and check it out. Um, again, Travis Sheely, thanks so much for stopping by, man. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Walker. It's my pleasure.
dodging death and ruin together. Blackened marks of place from rhyme. Decimated homes of chocolate. Swift and saving us in the night From a fear we must withstand Living check to check with empty hands I keep tired and better legs running With old sick mothers and locked up kids They keep us living just above nothing Easier to say what to do Hindsight's a luxury of time Warm beds and bank accounts All the desperate kill for time The town was broken in a second Ways of fearful and angry eyes Shots sold through the neighbor's yard Cars return with the changing tide Business suit standing at our back door, telling us all about the chain. A Sunday shoe standing at our front door, telling us all plain. All right, folks. Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you again so much to Travis Sheely for coming by the show and, and having that conversation. I really, really enjoyed doing it. I also really want to thank Misha Zarens for the music. And of course, last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening to the show. I'd also like to welcome you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters, and you can find it on any podcast app. Again, I really appreciate the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.